Welcome to Tracklisting, the podcast where a musician, a comedian, and a painter review old soundtracks for some reason. I'm Nick. I'm Chris. And I'm Caleb, and I believe this week Nick has a pick for us. We've got a pick for us, gentlemen. This is 2002, the coming-of-age comedy Orange County. All right, yeah! (laughs) uh, I did own the DVD for Orange County. I did not own the soundtrack. I illegally downloaded the movie on Kazaa. But it stayed on my computer for years. Kazaa. Kazaa. The old uh, P2P <laughs> client. <laughs> yeah, that or iMesh. I don't know. Maybe Kazaa, Morpheus, iMesh, had them all. <laughs> yeah, so this movie came out while I was in college. So I didn't see it in the theaters or anything. I think I maybe saw it in parts on cable throughout the years. Never had the soundtrack. Not super familiar with it, but uh, familiar with a lot of the bands. So yeah, nice. I think I can chip in. Yeah, and for uh, anybody unfamiliar with the story, uh, Orange County is about a high school senior with a, a sterling academic record trying to get into Stanford University after his guidance counselor accidentally submits uh, someone else's transcript. It's a little bit of a time capsule of uh, probably the last year when people weren't very, very familiar with Orange County and what Orange County was like. Yeah, this it kind this of put the city on the map. Brought on like a cultural explosion. Uh, Laguna Beach, the real OC. There's some connections with the soundtrack, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A lot of these bands on this soundtrack may uh, hail from Orange County. (laughs) But uh, we'll have to find out. You guys want to hear track one? Let's Let's do do it. it. This is The Offspring with Defy You. You may throw me down, but I'll rise again. The more you say, the more I defy you. So get out of my Yeah, I think that this is uh, one of a few songs that were original to the soundtrack. We should say that this uh, the film is an MTV production, so that's right. It's a lot of strong uh, A&R connections, <laughs> a lot of uh, like bands uh, being thrust upon us, and also uh, bands that they have connections to. Yeah, this would have been um, the lead single uh, off of this oh, okay. soundtrack. This is what they kind of advertised it uh, the most as. This and then another track we're gonna get to pretty soon. I mean, I, I grew up with some Offspring. This is probably yeah. a little bit uh, past when I stopped listening to Offspring on the regular. But uh, I think we've talked about the Offspring before. I know they were a band that started really before they were able to play any of their instruments. <laughs> they kind of just had the idea to start a band and, yeah. uh, you know, figure it out later, which is maybe not a bad strategy. I think like you just <laughs> kind of build the thing. And just figure it out. It seems to work. Like, everyone rims on it as like, oh, man, they don't even know how to play their own instruments. It's like, ah, get the brand right. Yeah, <laughs> then everything else will just fall not, into place. Not a bad strategy. Oh, man. Uh, it's funny. There's a thing that happens in, like, punk bands that I've seen happen in the art world a lot where it's uh, bands that get big on kind of a naive, primitive style of play. You know, kind of thinking of, like, the Ramones and... uh you know, the notion of why a band is good is like tied in with them, like not trying to be good or competent with their like actual playing. Right? Sure. And that's kind of part of the charm or part of the aesthetic. Yeah, it's raw. Yeah. And, the, you know, there's, uh, I would say the corollary, there's like some artists who, there, there's been movements throughout the years of like bad painting or like kind of primitive painting. People kind of purposefully, supposedly purposely making like bad paintings as like a little bit of a comment on like what 
painting should be or shouldn't be. Uh, what happens that's awkward is when these artists become successful and then kind of like throughout the years start actually like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to teach themselves how to be more confident. And there's a lot of like, uh, you know, maybe some some players, you know, you think about like Velvet Underground, like kind of later became like more avant-garde or, or were avant-garde at the time, you know, but there's people who, who became more interesting, but there's also people who just kind of got better at their instruments and became mediocre and you're in this like uh this uncomfortable gray zone of like oh yeah you're not like a good player but you're not like interestingly bad anymore yeah i feel like you you do come across that like the best musicians out there don't have any cool creative edge to them you know what i mean like the most technically uh accurate musicians but it's like oh because you've just spent all your time like becoming a professional at your musician or at, at your instrument excuse me I just saw on uh, Alt 105.3's website, The Offspring have reworked their song Come Out and Play to say you got to go get vaccinated. (laughs) So uh, thanks, Offspring, for uh, trying to be on the right side of history. I want to be vaccinated right no you gotta keep it you gotta keep it separate you gotta get it vaccinated Vaccinated. Uh, (laughs) well they also they covered um i want to be sedated in uh, i think the buffy and the or yeah is it buffy and the vampire slayer is it that movie oh i have no idea they've got a new album coming out pretty soon called let the bad times roll (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if that's any good you guys want to jump into track two let's do it. it this is social distortion with story of my life Live. So I sit at the edge of my bed. I strum my guitar and I sing an outlaw love song. I think about what you're doing now and when you're coming back. Social Distortion, uh, like The Offspring that we just heard from, both uh, representing Orange County. Yeah, I remember Social D as as being kind of a 90s band, Mike Ness and Social D, but uh, I think in reality they formed maybe even like late 70s, early 80s. It's one of those like uh, LA kind of, you know, garagey punk bands that just stuck around forever and ever, even though I think they kept like breaking up and getting back together throughout the years. But yeah, it's... Uh, We'll we'll get to my like kind of grand thesis about this uh, soundtrack later, but it's kind of it's funny in that it's a very '90s uh, California sound, but it's not even really a '90s band. I feel like that's something that we kind of like dip into every once in a while. And we're still hearing like the residual sounds of the '90s. I mean, it's only 2002, and by the time this movie comes out, yeah, but this is like Social D is like kind of like an '80s band. I guess my. So, so my, my notion about this soundtrack is that, uh, I was thinking about like rock music and it's kind of association with Californianess mm-hmm. in that like every decade with rock music had like a very distinctive, like, uh, California sound, you know, like in the sixties, it was obviously like a beach boys, like heavy kind of surf rock yeah. and, the and then like Laurel Canyon, yeah, Laurel yeah, Canyon, yeah. In the seventies and the eighties was like hair metal. And it was like, uh, and in the nineties, you know, there was obviously a very distinct, like, uh, LA hip hop sound, mm-hmm. but the, like the rock sound became subsumed in like the Northwest. And it was kind of like, 
I think maybe Everclear, even even though they're I guess kind of a Portland band in a way, uh, seems like kind of a '90s like LA. But it, there just isn't like a heavy like LA version of '90s music. Yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, well, that again, that's well, another yeah, Red Hot kind of Peppers. '80s band. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, yeah, that's true. That's true. as compared to like the previous decades that were like dominated by Californianess. I and see it's your like, point. Yeah, it kind of they lost it in the '90s and never really got it back. Uh, in the last episode, we were talking about kind of the awkward, uh, like, 90s grunge scene in New York. And I feel like at least in New York, it like, New Yorkness was, like, recaptured by, like, the Strokes. And the Strokes kind of, like, that era of, like, rock that came back. Yeah. And I feel like it never really happened again for California. Yeah. Has rock ever returned to L.A. or California? I really don't think so. Oh, man. I mean, t- if you were a band... Imagine Dragons? I feel like they're like a California band. <laughs> but it doesn't... You know, I don't know. But they I don't sound, right. it doesn't sound like California. It's yeah. like you find out that a band... You yeah. know, like even Offspring. Offspring's a band that I've known for years and years and years. And I guess I like kind of knew that they were a California band. But if somebody told you they were like Ohio, it's like, yeah, maybe. LMFAO. Like, LMFAO, <laughs> Point and case. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's different in like pop, but it, you know, in kind of in pop rock circles, I feel like there's there is a, a rock sound from California that just doesn't exist anymore. This is the first song uh, that happens in the movie. Um, we heard Offspring earlier. By the way, it was Idle Hands where they covered "I Want to Be Sedated." Ah, the, and, which is the a soundtrack song, that is impossible to track down please send us a vhs or cassette copy of five yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh this song's playing right at the opening of the film uh lonnie uh dies eating massive foam in a huge tidal wave uh and the, the, their surfer like, buddy yeah this movie starts the way that point break ends <laughs> yeah awesome <laughs> yeah. 20 footers <laughs> <laughs> but yeah lonnie is this uh surf bro of colin hanks's character sean and his death sort of like creates a crisis within him that like he's like i gotta i gotta turn my life around man i gotta I, oh what's this book in the sand <laughs> marcus skinner who's this marcus skinner <laughs> yeah so he read this book maybe like 50 times he says and then uh applies to stanford and then he becomes class president just changed his whole life r.i.p lonnie anything else about a uh, social distortion you guys want to say um, I do I do like this song. I don't listen to Social Distortion much, but I think that they're a pretty good band. I think that historically, you would definitely uh, probably favor them over Offspring as far as like an important band. I think mm-hmm. that's... Uh, yeah? No? I disagree. I, I, for some, I, don't, I don't know what... Uh, I mean, I will say this movie came out at the perfect time for me. I was in eighth grade. Uh, I was just learning about everything uh, cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, and I mean, this was an MTV movie. They pr- like did all the promos while I was like watching MTV at the m- highest point of my life. You know. Yeah, we can talk about how ingrained MTV was in uh, a lot of our youth. Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, and this was definitely like the time I was watching like two to three hours of MTV a day. So I saw day. all the interstitial promos and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I have a soft spot for Offspring for oh. some reason, and I think for I, I think they'll. Um, age more gracefully than social distortion. <laughs> Hard disagree, but that's fine. <laughs> hey, they're on the right side of the vaccination problem, right? That's, that's right. Can't say that about Van Morrison. <laughs> I guess they eventually figured out how to play their instruments, so that's always a bonus. That's true. But uh, you guys want to hear from track three? Sure. This is Foo Fighters with The One. Something never meant to be Everything you 
Fighters once again on track listing podcast. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I always used to watch this clip of Dave Grohl kind of wasted on the late, late show with Craig Kilborn, where he does a cover of stairway to heaven. Nice. Uh, it was just him and Taylor Hawkins and uh, pretty great performance. Kilborn, man, where are you? Yeah. What happened to Kilborn? <laughs> what happened to Craig? <laughs> and uh, I also remember a little tidbit about Foo Fighters from when I was a kid. Their album, There's Nothing Left to Lose, when that came out, uh, the, the cover of the album is the back of someone's head, and there's a Foo Fighters tattoo on the back of their neck. Yeah, I remember that. And if you if you bought the CD, the CD came with a uh, temporary tattoo. tattoo. Yeah, yeah. And my, all my friends and I did the temporary tattoo on the neck, and we thought we were so cool. <laughs> I remember but great, great marketing. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah, you can be just like the guy on the on the, the cover. cover. I uh, I remember getting in an argument with my brother. He owned that CD. Yeah, whether or not the tattoo was a real thing, and I was like, uh, I bet they paid some guy to do it. <laughs> he was like, No, it's a guy in the band that did it. <laughs> I was like. Oh, but now I just like <laughs> better marketing not. than if that Blink One Eighty Two album came with like a latex glove. <laughs> you could be just like her. <laughs> but um, Dave Grohl's also got that great docu series Sound City mm-hmm. that I've watched a couple of times. Speaking of docu series, I watched uh, a few clips of uh, making the video uh, with oh, yeah. uh, the Foo Fighters did a making the video for this song, nice. uh, which incorporated a lot of the themes of the movie. They were like kids on a college campus, and uh, I guess Dave Grohl reenacts one of the Jack Black scenes um, at the top of the video. So it's like you know one of those music videos that's like made with clips of the movie and stuff like that. Back I wonder. Uh, I wonder if Dave Grohl was younger or older than Colin Hanks is in this movie. I think he's twenty five. Playing <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Colin high Hanks singer. is twenty five, <laughs> and this was a breakthrough uh, movie for him. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. This, yeah, was, this like, was it. This was the first one for yeah, sure. I remember him being in Band Came of Brothers. Of nowhere, you know? Maybe around the same time, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, so we've we've had um, the Foo Fighters on episodes of this podcast quite a bit. Mm-hmm not a band that's afraid of recording music um they, they're not sending their best to the track listing podcast i feel like we always get these like weird original songs it's never like one of foo fighters hits yeah. that ends up on a soundtrack this was a b-side that never made an actual album which yeah. is you know i feel like we heard from them maybe on the uh, godzilla the album <laughs> yeah, definitely An- another yeah, like b-side a, that never made like a third album. credit song <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. right yeah, it's a great connection that the, these are two songs that never made it to anything else that we've got on a. I, I mean, it is definitely not just those two songs. We've had like multiple, like, oh, and then this is apparently an original song for the film. <laughs> I guess it would make sense Fighter. that Foo Fighters scraps are the things that end up on the uh, very you know, 90s or early 2000s pro- soundtracks. Prolific. You know, <laughs> <laughs> prolific. What else can what you say? What else can you say? <laughs> I mean, this, okay. 
Colin Hanks is the lead, and who knows how he got this gig? Uh, <laughs> well, no, but I think you know he was talking. I watched some stuff. He was talking about like I had to prove myself, and like I obviously he's very aware of how much of a shadow he's living in. Um, but this must have been the movie of like calling in all the favors because Sissy Spacek's kid is also in this movie, <laughs> Skylar Fisk. And then, like, you know, Gary Marshall's in this movie, Harold Ramis, uh, Chevy Chase, John Leguizamo. And I think there was some... Jake Kasdan is the son of Lawrence Kasdan, who directed Kevin Klein, who plays uh, Marcus Skinner in the movie. Uh, Big Chill. You know, in the Big Chill. Yeah. So, but I feel like even with all these connections that exist, everyone's still delivered. Yeah. And oh, it, this is... I, it was still good. I didn't remember the cast as clearly as maybe I should have, but it's like in small roles, Lily Tomlin. Yeah. Um, Catherine O'Hare has a big role. John Lithgow. She's amazing in this movie. Everybody. Chevy Chase says like two lines. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, why is Chevy Chase in this movie? Like Harold Ramis on Ecstasy too is <laughs> the most amazing ben scene. Ben Stiller's in this. You know? Yeah, yeah. Ben I mean, Stiller also but, has like two lines. But I know Jack Black and uh, Dave Grohl are like real good buds. So, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe there's some connection there that Jack Black was like, hey man, get on this. Or like yeah, Dave Grohl. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Because there was back from the Tenacious D-Day. Yeah. Um, yeah, lots of Leslie, casting crew Leslie connections. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the cast of this movie is pretty crazy. I think it was Tom Hanks going like doing a little zhuzhing with his <laughs> Leslie Mann, Judd Apatow, Mike White, Mike White, School of Rock, School, School of, of Rock. Rock, Jack Black. Yeah, yeah. we should say that uh, they were neighbors. Mike and, White, yeah. uh, he wrote this film. Freaks and, and Geeks. Judd he has, Apatow he has a small part in it. Yeah. Yeah, and then he wrote School of Rock based on some conversations he had with Jack Black, and he was like, oh, "Yeah, I'm I think they were neighbors." Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But he like wrote that, you know, it's like I got some, I got some good for you, and then they talked to um, um, uh, Linklater, Linklater, yes, yeah. Richard Linklater. So, well, are those all the connections? Oh my 23 God. <laughs> got a few more got a few 23 <laughs> tracks 23 <laughs> actors six 23 soundtracks of, we got to do a six degrees of separation game. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure somebody else will pop up but this song is playing when uh, jack black aforementioned uh is driving sean to stanford to get in to to I guess bully the dean of admissions <laughs> at guess, 10 o'clock yeah. at night it's funny i was expecting or maybe i was conflating with other movies but in a movie like this there's usually some sort of uh the character arc of the deadbeat brother usually circles back around and he becomes like the one who actually saves the day yeah kind of maybe i was like uh the pixar film onward kind of has a similar setup mm-hmm. where it's like one the responsible like younger brother and then the the dipshit like uh uh, older brother but uh you're rooting for him to do something to like go above and beyond yeah, you're kind of ex- yeah like oh yeah and he's and he's like no he kind of just keeps making things worse and worse <laughs> he, he switches from pot to uppers at some point and then he's like we gotta go and then like you know roger ebert did say that jack black's grin in this movie is the least reassuring since jack nicholson <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice tidbit i think jack black steals the show in this movie oh yeah he's and really it, good it's definitely like you know i think uh saving silverman was 2001 then shallow how I mean, he had done a lot of stuff before, but then I think around this time, it was like he was already in place to be like a megastar, I think. so. I will say that Colin Hanks and Jack Black do not seem super related to each other. Mm-mm. Not in the slightest. Nope. In a way where I feel like it would have made a lot more sense if he was a stepbrother, the son of Bob or whatever. Yeah. 
it's, it's all there already. And yeah. it's kind of, it seems like that way where when John Lithgow comes around, he never seems to mention that he has two sons. <laughs> I guess three, because there's the little kid. Correct. I did love their like awkward uh, oil painting portraits. It's the just like, so weird. <laughs> so good. I, th- I wonder if maybe even uh, the original shoots, it was the stepbrother. And they decided that it, it didn't make more it mm-hmm. made more sense if they were full brothers, but it, I think it doesn't make much sense. You guys want to hear track four? Sure. This is Cake with Shadow Stabbing. He moves his words like a prize fighter. The frenzied pace of the mind inside the cell. The man on the street might just as well be. The man on the street might just as well. The man on the street might just as well be Outside, outside the world Out there you don't hear the echoes and calls But the steel eye, tight jaw Say it all, say it all We might be hearing from Cake for the first time on this podcast I was trying to uh, think, yeah I feel like Cake was one of those bands that you know, you never really knew what they looked like. I feel like they didn't feature themselves on a lot of album covers. Oh, and I knew. I knew what they looked I like because I saw them live several times. <laughs> I remember Googling them at some point uh, or seeing them perform on, you know, some late night circuit or something. And it was like a lot of bucket hats. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. kind of a style in the mid 90s. I, I don't know what they look like. I always got like a, the lead singer was like a Michael Stipe looking guy. Am I correct? No, uh, I, I remember them all looking like David Arquette. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Uh, Never so, thought. Yeah, I was I was really big into Cake when I was in high school. I saw them probably two or three times. I think that they hold up pretty well as like kind of a kitschy 90s band. Yeah, I remember the they talking always kind of made it seem like oh, well, cool like at, at the, the time. Distance. I thought yeah. so. Yeah. I think that they... It is a demonstration that I, I kind of uh, missed the mark on what was going to be the relevancy of 90s bands when I was in high school. <laughs> like, I wasn't seeing Pavement or anything. I was seeing Cake. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, you had the opportunity to see some awesome bands, yeah, and you're yeah. like, you're a kid. I gotta go Cake. I gotta it's go. like when you're in the I heat of things, trumpets. you just don't, don't, know. <laughs> you don't know what's gonna what's really going to be like the sound of the 90s. And, you know, How late did they 90s sell that band to record companies, too? It's like, you know what yeah. kids love? trumpets that's the it's i will say i respect cake in that they had kind of a very unique sound yeah they never really abandoned for something more marketable they just kind of kept making cake records yeah uh this was i think the last cake record that i remember listening to but they definitely put out like more cake records that sounded exactly like cake yeah yeah there's more cake yeah this is the one with the short skirt and the long jacket is that yeah i think yeah. so i loved i mean i i felt Hook line sinker in love with very cake. listenable, yeah. and you I never like you never hear another band, and you're like, is this cake? It's like it's always cake. Yeah, <laughs> it's always cake. You always know it's cake, <laughs> and nobody else sounds like cake. That's like. Wow. If it was in the art world, they would be, you know, billionaires. <laughs> I do love that uh, you backed the cake horse. <laughs> you're, like, was... you're sitting, it's like, should I buy tickets to, um, oh, jeez, I mean, we got pavement here, we got Nirvana. You win some, you lose some. How about cake? <laughs> cake? <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hit on some. I remember seeing Weezer on, like, uh, the Pinkerton tour. I think yeah. that was my first concert. Pretty proud of that. Time, time will tell. But, you know, I, uh, I also saw Eve 6, so, you know. <laughs> 
Yeah, I saw Creed. I saw one of these bands open for Weezer, which uh, I think we'll get to later on the I, soundtrack. I saw, I've, I've seen another one of these you know bands too. I don't know. I don't, it could be the same one. I'll find out. Is it the next band? I don't know. Should we hear track five? Let's, Let's hear find it. Oh, man. Yeah. Fortunately, <laughs> <laughs> this is Crazy Town with Butterfly. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Come, my lady, come, come, my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar, baby. Such a sexy, sexy, pretty little thing. This April bitch, you got me sprung with your tongue ring. And I ain't gonna lie, cause your loving gets me high. So to keep you by my side, there's nothing that I won't try. Butterflies in her eyes and her looks to kill. Time is passing, I'm asking, could this be real? Cause I can't sleep, I can't hold still. The only thing I really know is she got sex appeal. I Right, Crazy Town, definitely the first time this band is coming up on the podcast. No, actually, no, no. Actually, no. <laughs> Gotta check you on that. I think I may have made it black myself times. after we <laughs> talked about I them the last time. You guys definitely incorrectly guessed that in a game that I was hosting. I don't know if it's ever been an answer for anything. I put it in a game. Oh, you put it in a game. I put it in a game. Uh, still disputed. I'm still upset at you, Caleb, by the way. Uh, for the way you handled <laughs> no. an only connect game. I was. It was different uh, sizes of like... Uh, developments of oh, civilizations. Okay, okay. Oh, yeah, I remember. I that. actually stand by because I think I was later proven to be correct. <laughs> it was like street. <laughs> no, it was like tribe, village, town, city. It was like yeah. each band name had that, and this was the town. And you were like, uh, like Hamlet should have been in there. Yeah, I, I was like, I, I, <laughs> I thought, was like, you know where I was going. Though. I felt like tribe threw me off and I was like, a, you know, smaller than you're like, what's smaller than a town? Then I was like, maybe a Hamlet. And then we were watching only connect. They did the same thing and yeah. they used Hamlet. They used Hamlet. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Well, I'm not an only connect writer. Okay. I would be uh, well, uh, crazy town. Yeah. Back crazy to crazy town. town. Crazy town. This song was massive. This was yeah. this number, reached, one, number one on Billboard Hot 100. Uh, there's a lot to talk about here. There's L.A. rap rock. Yeah. This band had 20 members over time, <laughs> which is Gross. insane to me considering they were a one hit, maybe two hit wonder. Yeah. And, you know, this is the era of um, when bands had a turntablist. <laughs> which is a little bit of a bygone thing. And a lot of these 20 band members that they had over time were, uh, they had trouble hanging on to turntablists <laughs> for whatever some, reason. There's some big DJ scribble style, uh, scratching on this one. <laughs> I remember like, you know, incubus had a turntablist. Obviously yeah. Lincoln park was big on, uh, turntable things kid rock kid rock was a turntablist i have so much to say about this track i should say it's probably my favorite part of the film is it your favorite crazy town song (laughs) it's definitely my favorite okay cool top top four for sure (laughs) so uh, it's part of probably my favorite part of the film in that i think that um it being an mtv production there's an understanding about like how music works in the world in that uh this song is never presented as good or bad I maintain that for like an alternative pop song, it's like it's presented as being popular for the time, being even too popular to the characters in the film. So you mm-hmm. see, the first time you see it, it's like the cheerleaders are dancing to it, and you're okay. supposed to be like uh, kind of rooting against the people they're dancing. But then later, Colin Hank, the main character's girlfriend, is like listening to it on the headphones, and she's singing along to it, and it's kind of sweet. And it's just supposed to be like a you're like, oh yeah, this song is everywhere. Yeah. And then there's when like they, a third time when they go to party. Stanford and it's like the idea is Stanford's supposed to be this place where everything's different. 
and they go to this party and and everybody's just the same dickheads and they're yeah, yeah these girls are like oh my song. god it's our song yeah, this he, guy won't stop talking to me about faulkner i want to just dance to crazy town <laughs> colin hanks is <laughs> <laughs> I know. so crazy town it's funny i saw that they got a little bit of their start as an opening act for uh for red hot chili peppers on one of their big tours and it's worth saying that this song heavily samples a red hot chili pepper song uh, an instrumental track off of Mother's Milk. Yeah. And I think that Red Hot Chili Peppers were getting a lot of the money from it. Mm. And so I don't know if that... That sounds crazy, Dan. I don't know if that happened before <laughs> or after the tour. Like, it would have been funny if Red Hot Chili Peppers found out that a song, like, had a... That the band had a hit song with, like... It was sampling them, and they're like, okay, well, how about you just open for us? We can promote you, and we're, like, making money two ways. Yeah multiple revenue streams anthony he was a marketing genius yeah. good job keyness and company i should say you were talking about some of the band members of crazy town uh i think the two principal uh the like only the two singer. people that stayed in it were the yeah. two like uh, uh, rappers yeah, yeah brett mazer and seth binzer um they had stage names though do you know the stage names uh I, I think i read it but uh can't recall um they went by the names epic and shifty shell shock Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Mazer. Crazy town. Uh, that time when Skylar uh, Fisk is talking to Kip, uh, who's uh, Nat, Nate Faxon, mm-hmm. Nat Faxon, uh, who's like the college guy, and he's like bragging about his Scrabble score. The word he says is Mazer that gave oh, him 50 okay. bonus points, which I found in Goofs on imdb <laughs> someone's like actually you can't get 50 bonus points because mazer is not a seven letter word and i was like shut up idiot name <laughs> <triple> word. <laughs> a nice little easter egg thank you chris yeah yeah that's about everything we can say about uh Honestly, crazy town i could probably do another 20 minutes on crazy, <laughs> crazy town, town but maybe we should just move well, on i remember the music video <laughs> and it was just those two guys and so i can't imagine there being 20 more people at some point or 18 other members of that band at one point yeah i mean the bass the bass you're hearing is flea and the guitar is john frusciante right yeah and if uh, it's sampling that track yeah those that's all in the sample maybe there's a drummer and somebody yeah i don't think there's much of a band (laughs) i remember bass players in high school being obsessed with that bass line i remember if you could play that that was like the the cool thing yeah well i'll play it for you guys uh, after the episode the the original song is like it's kind of a dreamy, a little bit of like a, you know, the Fleetwood Mac Albatross song, like a little bit of a Krangbin vibe. Yeah. Mm. But it definitely, yeah, it kicks into a couple of parts of the song into that distinctive bass line. Well, if the, uh, if the three of us ever start a musical project, I think I know who the turntablist I might call upon would be. <laughs> Is that me? Yeah, it might be Caleb Brown. <laughs> Shellshock? No. He's got tizzy. all the records. <laughs> it's ready to go. <laughs> Chris, you want to? I was saying, not tizzy shell shock. Shifty shell shock. Shifty shell shock. <laughs> we make fun of the Edge and Bono for their names, but Shifty shell shock. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe we should jump into track six. Let's do it. This is Bad Ronald with First Time. Back in 92, didn't have a clue School bell ring, sky clear blue Get my ass home, call you on the phone You promised later on that night we'd be alone The next five hours, don't think I sat Took a trip to the store for a lubricated hat Checked myself in the mirror, 91 times Rehearsed in my head, 99 lines Came to your door, you grabbed me by the hand Heart beating quick, I'm about to be a man Girl, you satisfied my soul Went to put the Trojan on and I lost control Don't be all good all night long I feel like 
Yes, that uh, that is bad, Ronald. Make no mistake. <laughs> You're talking about uh, rap rock. <laughs> You're talking about yeah. rap rock. Somebody say rap rock. This is uh, they're doing kind of a beachy like L.A. rap rock, even though it's a New York group. Yeah, real gross fucking uh, frat boy shit. No offense. <laughs> Stop looking at me. <laughs> you know, I think maybe they took their uh, their band name from the 1974 made-for-television horror film, Bad Ronald. <laughs> Ronald McDonald. Bad Ronald McDonald. And uh, they had some music in different movies and shows. They had uh, some music featured in Not Another Teen Movie. And uh, they achieved little success, I think, in spite of their MTV promotion they had. I think uh, they belong to a long lineage of white hip-hop groups that, like, uh, labels and MTV, like, unsuccessfully tried to push through. Then nobody fucking cared. (laughs) Yeah, it was a real flash-in-the-pan sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess after Bad Ronald, one of the uh, members started the band LFO. Yeah. You may remember LFO. Jared! I love you. <laughs> and oh, uh, they also have a turntablist in the band. And <laughs> you could hear uh, DJ Detox uh, spinning the records on that track. Yeah, these guys had some, bad, some bad names in here as well. Uh, <laughs> White Owl MC. Kaz Gamble MC. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's a bygone era, man. MCs and turntablists. Uh, yeah, talking about backing the wrong horse. I think, uh, <laughs> I think MTV probably tried to prop up one too many of these rap rock things in the early two mm-hmm. thousands, and none of them lasted. Man, this is a one. This is a one album band. They couldn't even come yeah, out yeah. with a terrible sophomoric album. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the the sad truth of uh, of the economics of like the you know hip hop industry in the nineties and, and early two thousands is that whenever a white act broke they were huge. You know, it's just like when you think about suburban youth and, you know, things that were palatable to them, it's like vanilla ice, you know, Eminem, all these people like huge, huge numbers. And like, uh, there were, I think there were plenty of talented and great black artists. And so you didn't have to like, you know, it's like, well, you know, they're going to hit some of them are going to hit when it's like, but they're really, these labels were really looking for white guys. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we were talking about (laughs) a little bit about, uh, shrimp guy on Twitter. He was a, a person who got like a million dollar deal uh, rapping when he was like a high schooler. Oh God. And I think it was maybe a much more common thing than we know about because I don't think any of them hit. <laughs> I do remember uh, seeing this bad Ronald music video when I was a kid on MTV as part of their, uh, it wasn't TRL, but it was another video segment they would do called spanking new. Oh yeah. You guys yeah. remember spanking new? I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. 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 And a terrible music video. <laughs> it's awful. This is playing at that same uh, Stanford party. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll save my uh, uh, thematic judgment of this film for a little bit later. But I sure. do I do kind of want to talk about it. It's, it was interesting watching it at a time when like there's a huge college admissions scandal happening. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, very true. The sort of Deus Ex Machina at the end is like John Lithgow's like, oh, I'm a really rich guy. I'll just donate uh, an admissions building. And like I, I guess I, I was kind of watching this with folded arms. Like this kid's dream is to go to stanford like come on man like there's it's like i don't know there's so many 
cooler things to dream about than like, I hope I get into this super prestigious school because that's what people think I should do. You I know think what I mean? that I guess mm-hmm. it's funny. The stakes are definitely kind of uh, undercut by the fact that you know the they kind of start by presenting Orange County as this place where everybody's just chill, nobody really cares about anything important, which is like okay. But then they kind of like they start to hit on a little bit like the the true character of Orange County is that it's incredibly wealthy. Yeah. And that uh you know maybe people are materialistic and that should be like but it's like yeah he's you know maybe he's not the richest person in Orange County but he's very rich. And it's like oh you didn't get in you know take a gap year. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. There's so many options and like boo hoo hoo you didn't get into Stanford one of the most competitive like schools yeah and it's like oh you should have gotten it's like well I don't know sort it out next year fucking figure it out uh, you know spoiler alert he doesn't even go yeah at the end he gets in he doesn't even go he's like I don't know maybe I don't want to go it's like well then what are you doing man (laughs) (laughs) and then John Lithgow doesn't even emote even after he like probably you know donated a 20 million dollar building or something he's just like oh i'm glad you're here son (laughs) yeah Yeah, he thinks uh you know to be a good writer he's got to go to this fancy schmancy school and you know once he meets his uh you know writer idol played by kevin klein marcus skinner yeah you know he convinces him that all of his favorite writers come from places that they dislike and you can stay in that place and still flourish and be successful in your (laughs) you know artistic passions i I feel like it should have been like a never meet your heroes type of thing because like yeah. he, he goes to the party and realizes like oh yeah this isn't like a bunch of brilliant people talking about ideas and cool stuff these people like the band crazy town <laughs> i mean it's what he keeps realizing throughout the whole movie like, is crazy oh, town is all over the place crazy town. <laughs> but it works as a device it's like a quick flare you shoot up yeah. you're like oh yeah all these people are fucking mindless idiots <laughs> but he should have like I think Marcus Skinner should have been at that party, like, skeezing <laughs> on other college girls. And then he yeah. would have been like, oh, this oh. guy, he's like, oh, yeah, no, I kind of stole most of that story, actually. Yeah, from my student. Like, he should have, <laughs> Marcus Skinner should have been a sleazeball, and that's what it should have made him be like, oh, gross. I, I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> actually, I, don't. I think that um, <laughs> a lot of the story doesn't really make sense because I think of, of what I know Stanford's reputation to be is that Stanford is a very, very good school. But it's also, if somebody grew up in Orange County, they would definitely, like, Stanford should be on all of their radars. Yeah. And it's like, you know, maybe if it was Berkeley, it would make a little bit more sense or something. It couldn't be further away because they have to drive in the middle of the night to get there. Yeah. But it's kind of like, wait, this, you know, this this kid wants to go to Stanford? It's like, it, you know, if you were a high school kid in Orange County and you went to your, uh, your like, CEO dad and you're like I want to go to Stanford to be a writer you'd probably be like Stanford's a great school you know it's like it doesn't make sense there's no dissidence between what everybody else in Orange County would want for him yeah if he's like I want to be an English major it's like yeah we'll figure it out when you get there it's like everybody should be like excited this guy wants to go to Stanford and I, I could be wrong but I feel like Stanford's more known for like STEM stuff and like Silicon Valley-esque like mm-hmm. you know finance guys rather than like, like creative actually writing. he should have gone to Berkeley yeah, <laughs> to yeah, yeah. do like creative writing stuff like that's absolutely where he should have gone anyway uh Mickey what do we have next oh boy track seven Brian Wilson lay down burden If I had the chance 
Wilson. We've got a couple of Brian Wilson tracks uh, on this soundtrack. Definitely not the first time we've talked about Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I always go back to with uh, Brian is uh, I think Chris turned Caleb and I on to uh, a collection of uh, unreleased Brian Wilson songs. Yeah. Not sure like what era these songs were written in, but it's definitely awkward. I think they were it- supposedly the when the beach boys went on tour right yeah and he was stayed in the sandbox he just stayed and was like recording and stuff and they were kind of like oh when we come home like brian's gonna have this whole like album's worth of material super to... coherent super normal album for oh, us man it's like directions to his house <laughs> yeah. like... busy doing nothing it's i guess i did a deep dive on uh the beach boys uh about like a year and a half ago and realized like oh they came out with like seven more albums than i realized yeah yeah and it was at a time when as you're kind of saying like the beach boys would be like recording and then be like all right we're kind of stuck here let's get let's get brian and he would kind of like walk downstairs and be like well i was writing a song about cool ice water (laughs) like okay (laughs) all right yeah let's put on the other sure man (laughs) i should say yeah when i was making fun of like the demo tapes like one of them turned into good vibrations and like uh most of those turned into the album smile which Smile. was kind of the lost uh, Beach Boys album, which I think finally was released maybe 15 years ago or something. Yeah. And it's all great and it's amazing. And it's just like in the context of the 70s when somebody's r- trying to write like an or- orchestral, uh, write like an orchestral, orchestral. Uh, pop song about vegetables and shit. <laughs> it's like that seems normal to us. Uh, but back then it was a little out there. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, what about something about a T-bird? Huh? <laughs> what if it's about surfing a, again? What if it's about a girl you really like? And it's like, <laughs> no, this one's about vegetables. <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah, make no mistake. Like Brian Wilson is a brilliant, brilliant musician and human being, but um, well documented was his descent <laughs> into madness <laughs> on seven or eight albums. <laughs> this is off of one of his like uh, maybe eighties or nineties records, one of his solo records, I think. I'm not a huge fan of the kind of uh, production sound on this, but um, I love his singing. And yeah, his I, voice always sounds good. Yeah, and yeah, and this this and the other track I think serves the movie really well to inject a little bit of like California dreaminess that. Like I said, wasn't really uh, available in like the the '90s and 2000s music coming out of Orange County. I feel like. Yeah, this is um, when Sean. You know, I guess he he brought over Gary Marshall and his wife, <laughs> uh, who's like a big Stanford um, like alumnus and uh, toes a lot of weight around there. Uh, come, they invite him over, and um, everything goes wrong, and then he just collapses into the pool, and Jack Black <laughs> saves him. As compared to most like 90s and 2000s, uh, you know, I don't, this is like a teen comedy, coming of age comedy. Mm-hmm. There's not too many. This is like the only kind of gross out set piece, which is that there's a bottle of pee, a uh, bottle of urine, yeah. uh, like a jar of urine that gets Thank kind you, of Caleb. It gets splattered around. And it's like kind of the only like I remember when it was happening, I was like, oh, wait, does she drink the, the urine? Yeah. And she never does, and it's kind of like it's a uh, it's kind of remarkable that this movie has so much restraint. It's like there's no nudity, there's no like uh, real crass comedy. It's like yeah. it's kind of good natured in a weird way. Uh, I found it pretty pleasant, actually. Oh, absolutely! I, I thought the same thing. And like compared to other movies at the time that were coming out, I mean, this is 
so tame and like so much smarter than like literally not another teen movie came out you know the next or <laughs> the year before i guess and it's yeah. insane and like <laughs> all the american pie stuff and uh scary movie is like the grossest of gross out humor you yeah know? it's kind of bizarre that this movie got made in the way that it did like seeing like what kind of uh, similar movies were like doing huge box office and we should say this wasn't a big hit it wasn't a bomb i think it made a little bit of money i think the soundtrack did quite well okay probably mtv helped that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just playing maybe, maybe that's what they were focusing <laughs> yeah. on yeah uh, there's a lot of uh, style descriptions on the soundtrack you've got alternative rock hard rock pop punk new metal indie rock rap rock but uh maybe we should take a break Ooh. and come back with some more music yeah at the end of the episode we are as always going to add a song to our track listing spotify playlist uh recommending in honor of orange county our favorite uh one of our favorite color songs favorite color song and then i think nikki has a game for us I've got a mind-bending game for you guys after the break. Oh, right. I'm ready to get my mind bended. <laughs> All right, stick with us. Thank you to everyone for listening to Track Listing Podcast. It's 2021. we got a lot of great soundtracks for you guys. You can also find us on a variety of social media platforms. Oh, you sure can, Nick. If you want to find us on Instagram, you can reach out at, at TrackListingPodcast. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on Twitter, <laughs> at TrackListingPod. Tell your friends, tell your family about Tracklisting Podcast. And we sure would appreciate it if you would rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app. That's right, Caleb. And you can also find us on chess.com at Tracklisting Podcast or reddit.com at Tracklisting Podcast. And now back to the episode. Back to the episode. Welcome back to the Orange County soundtrack. And uh, I've got a game prepared for us before we get back. All right. All right. All right. I've got an edition of Covers Blown. Oh, oh shit. hey. Uh, here we go. I haven't played this in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's been a little while. Uh, you know, time to dust off the old uh, track listing repertoire okay. of um, terrible cover songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes. Uh, it's our bread and butter. <laughs> covers happen in unlikely places. We like to exploit that here on track listing. And uh, I've got three rounds for you guys. Okay. So I'm going to read you a track. I'm going to read you three artists. And one of those artists has covered said song. And uh, no real money's on the table tonight, but we do have a few extra slices of pizza that you guys are going to have to fight over. Okay. There's more coffee in the coffee pot, too. All right. Chris ordered an extra small cheese. So I think we're all set. Thank you, Chris. Are you guys ready for round one? I'm ready. ready. The song is... Tracks of My Tears. Ooh, Smokey Robinson? Smokey Robinson and the Temptations. Okay. Has it been covered by Go West? Has it been covered by ACDC? Or has Tracks of My Tears been covered by Weird Al? Okay, well, Quick quick Cue um, is a parody. Does that count as a cover? Because if we're talking Weird Al, if it's going to be like backs of my years or something stupid i think if it's a weird owl it's going to be <laughs> like just a straight polka version oh yes 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 he does the polka like breakdowns in the middle of his albums my question which is more to you i don't think it's fair to ask nikki is that i think if acdc did it it would have been like a live version you'd hear the cop ah! and yeah. they'd be like crash of crash my tears <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like 
go west makes the most sense. It does to me. That immediately jumped out at me. Can you can you do what Track of Tears sounds like? I'm, I don't. <laughs> just do your best, Smokey Robinson impression. <laughs> I'll do a very good Smokey Come Robinson. Come on. Some people say I'm the laughing. Some people take a good look at my face. Okay. Yeah, this is a terrible cover. <laughs> we are tone deaf tonight. Uh, I think it was in the the Big Chill soundtrack. I think track of my tears oh, okay. might have been on okay. there. Okay. Um, I do need an answer. I'd go go west. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say go west. You guys ready for the answer to round one? Let's do it. Let's do it. feel good about this not yet people say uh, ACDC <laughs> that's weird Al <laughs> that is go west nice 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 oh boy once this song actually kicks in it's a uh, it's a real something <laughs> hey go west that guy's got some pipes he hits some notes that I was unable to recreate in uh, karaoke <laughs> <laughs> I can tell myself. <laughs> that is a real cover that is on um, a compilation uh, release of Go West. You guys ready for round two? Yeah, I'm ready. The song for round two is Brick House. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. You guys like that song? Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's a great track. I think we've had it on like three or four yeah. soundtracks. On 90 <laughs> soundtracks, I think. Uh, unfortunately, Brick House has been covered. Ooh, I don't know if I've heard a cover of Brick House before. Has it been covered by Smash Mouth? Fuck. Vanilla Ice? Mm. Or Rob Zombie? Mm. I'll let okay. you guys discuss. Just about that for a second. Okay. I, okay, my hat's off to Nikki because these are three <laughs> very plausible, fun yeah. answers. I'm it's all very real. I'm seeing a world in which they all exist. Uh, okay, so... Vanilla Ice, famously, people, uh, I think it's come up on one of these rounds before. Play that funky music. Play that funky music, White Boy. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's not afraid to cover, even though, it's like, is it a cover? Yeah. Or is it a sample? Uh, I don't want to say Vanilla Ice, because if it turns out to be Vanilla Ice, I feel like I can get off on a technicality. (laughs) (laughs) Smash Mouth is a band that we... That's pretty much all we ever talk about is Smash Mouth. Yeah, it's, this is Steve yeah. Harwell. So, Smash Mouth is responsible for a large amount of COVID cases, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh my God. Music's Blood. most dangerous band. Blood's on their hands. They might as well be walking on the sun <laughs> the right Bay Area now. Hey! Bay Area Ripper. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Harwell. Uh, what was the third? What was Rob the th- Zombie. Rob Zombie. I mean, we've been talking a lot about new metal covers of mm-hmm. uh, classic. Usually, it's it's like '80s hits. Didn't. Well, Corn covered like a... I don't see a Rob Zombie version in my head. You know what I mean? But I do see a Smash Mouth version in my head. I think I'm going to take Vanilla Ice off the table. I think the Rob Zombie version is going to sound insane. And I'm going to be really impressed. I remember when I was a kid, you would go to the bait shop and there'd be these like neon worms, these neon fake worms. Lures. And I feel like that's what Smash Smash Mouth is for us. It's like (laughs) if you dangle Smash Mouth in front of us, it's all we're going to see. And I don't know if we're being blinded. I'm going to try to bite at it every time. (laughs) 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. All right, Smash I, Mouth. I will agree with Smash Mouth. All right, let's hear the answer to round number two. Oh yeah. That is Rob Zombie oh, featuring uh, Lionel Richie himself. No. Yeah, Why does that exist? It's pretty wild. It's oh, pretty wild. No, no. Rob Zombie, man. There is an unfortunate <laughs> there's an unfortunate side effect of this song is that like there's always one that I'm like, the world is a worse place if that does exist. And um and I, I, I feel worse about humanity hearing that song. <laughs> I think just last episode, I, I might I might have said that the world's never nobody's ever been hurt by someone recording a song. <laughs> but you know, oh, who knows? Uh, all right, you guys are uh, one for three at the moment. Okay, okay. you ready for round number three? Well, one for two. Yeah, yeah. one for two. Yeah. Sorry, uh, redoing the math here. <laughs> Calculators. Broken. All right, I think we're ready for this. Is the final round. This is round number three. The song is Sign of the Times. Ooh, Prince. Okay. Yes. And it's been covered. Has it been covered by Shaka Khan? Has it been covered by Red Hot Chili Peppers? Or has it been covered by Lil' Kim? I'll let you guys discuss. <sighs> Shaka Khan. Too close. Too close. But, you know, is this a, like, hey, I'm going to do my own version. You do your own version. Or, like, I like your version... I, I could know. see it being like a Shaka Khan comes out with a record maybe, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And then it's like kind of like, oh, it's like a, um, the little Kim thing again, I feel like if it's true, it's going to be a sample, in which case I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. I, what was the third? <laughs> Shaka Khan, Red Hot Chili Peppers or Lil' Kim? Red Hot Chili Peppers have done a lot of covers. Yeah. Way more covers than you would think. <laughs> They've they've done some famous covers. I kind of like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, that it, makes sense. To I me. would think I would think it would be the most obvious, but I don't know. I think it's got to be most likely to be Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'm so. down. Let's All go right. for it. All Red right. Hot Chili Peppers, lock, lock it, it in. in. Lock it in. They are shaking hands. Here is the, the answer to round number three. We're in trouble. Skinny man died of a big disease with a little name. By chance, this girl ran came. That is Shaka Khan. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> Lazy song choice. Shaka Khan. Like, come on. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. John. Ooh. Um, that's a good like uh, reverse drag name. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. It's a white guy. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm looking at our docket here, and it looks like there might be a bonus round. Ooh, oh, okay, we fuck. need it. We need it. We need one to redeem ourselves. Three, yeah. Yeah, okay. we're, we're you guys want uh, round number four? Yeah, we need it. All right. The song for the bonus round is the song Kiss. Okay. By Prince. By Prince. Yes, also by Prince. By Prince. Has it been covered by Michael McDonald, 
and Blue Man Group. <laughs> so these are that's one possible answer. <laughs> that is one that's possible not answer. Two okay. Has it been covered by Tom Jones and Art of Noise? Or has it been covered by Mariah Carey and the Dust Brothers? I'll let you guys discuss. A lot happening in this one. Um, I'm going to ruin the round a little bit in that uh, throughout, you know, I collect records and throughout my years, people have given me some of their records. You got a Blue Man Group record in there? I have a vinyl single of Tom Jones and Art of Noise. Okay, that that makes sense to me. <laughs> I think. I'm like 90% sure that that is a record in my collection. Okay. It could be all three. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I gotta go with Tom Jones and Art of Noise. I, I will agree with you. I, I'm trusting your judgment there. And I uh, feel we're like... We're this together. <laughs> again, this is something that I think I own, so I don't know why there's any... Uh, but I, I feel like hear. I can hear him do the... Kiss! Kill! <laughs> um, I, uh... I do want to ask a question. Yeah. Well, well follow-up question. Did Michael McDonald and Blue Man Group collaborate? I what think do that think? they do. I, I think, think they I have. think these are all real collaborations. Uh, yes, I think so, but I think that this is Tom Jones and Arm Noise. Let's go for it. Here's the answer to round number four. You don't have to be beautiful. <laughs> Good job, Caleb. <laughs> let's, let's listen to a little bit of this. Song. I just need your body, baby. Oh, I know, I know uh, every inch of this song. You don't, <laughs> you don't need experience. The music video for this song is also completely bananas. Is it like um, a lot of animation, psychedelic background stuff? No, Tom Jones looks terrifying. <laughs> he is terrifying. Well, also British. Welsh. Welsh. Okay. Well, oh my. <laughs> I'm saying, excuse me. And if you want to hear Tom Jones say "kiss," you'll have to listen to that song. Kiss. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got actually a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Good shame. Shame. <laughs> you guys are two out of four on that game. Good job, yeah. gentlemen. Thanks for playing Covers Blind. Two out of four and bad. Good job. Good job. <laughs> you each get a slice of pizza. <laughs> and a cup of coffee. All right, thanks for playing, guys. <laughs> you right, want to jump game. back into the uh, Orange County soundtrack. Let's yes. do it. That was a great game, Nick. Thank oh, you. Yeah, thank you for the game. No problem. We're coming back in on track number eight. This is Lit with Everything's Cool. just remembered before we get to lit you guys asked if michael mcdonald and blue man group ever collaborated yes i don't think they did but <sighs> you may have been thinking of the collaboration between blue man group and dave matthews oh they did a song together that's you know it's a song i would not have confused those two no. people okay. but i was thinking of uh, <laughs> my apologies i looked it up as michael mcdonald and eiffel 65 oh that makes sense <laughs> uh, but uh yeah the song by lit, Back uh, to lit. yeah an orange county band orange county band mm-hmm. started in uh, 1988 and and um, they gained worldwide popularity with their second album, A Place in the Sun, yeah. which I owned a copy of. 
and uh, I remember My Own Worst Enemy yeah. being all over MTV. Great song. And it won Billboard's Music Award for the biggest, <laughs> I don't know what this award is, the biggest modern rock song of 1999. It was the biggest. <laughs> really? I, okay, so uh, I teased earlier that I had seen another <laughs> of these bands in high school, and I remember seeing Lit in like a small club in Portland when I was in high school. Maybe another, uh, you know, swing and a miss. I didn't have a great ear <laughs> for talent when I was in high school. I don't think. I, I like Lit. I, I bet that. I bet that concert was awesome. It was. Yeah, it was yeah. fine. But it's, uh, you know, I maintain that Lit's a good band. They, uh, you know, they had eleven members over time, which okay. is uh, quite a handful. Yeah. A lot of drummers and guitar players, and gotta keep up. It's kind of a bygone era. You guys remember MTV Cribs? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, their guitarist Jeremy Popoff. Uh, was featured in an episode of MTV Cribs, mm. which is pretty wild to me. Interesting. <laughs> but yeah, they made so much money from uh, this album that, uh, you know, people were buying mansions and uh, sports <laughs> yeah. cars. So this track that we're listening to, this is um, after, you know, I remember them, I think it was the album that you were talking about with My Own Worst Enemy being the lead single. A Place mm-hmm. in the Sun. And I saw them uh, probably early on when they were touring that, having some success on like alternative radio. And then it became like a big hit. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't remember them ever doing anything ever again. But this is, uh, I looked up, you know, they had like a few records after that. Yeah. They uh, persisted. And, and like you said, they were like a much older band than I thought they were. Uh, you know, they're fine. I'm just saying that. Uh, they com- got into country music a little bit. Oh. Like they're too. Sorry to hear that. Hootie style. <laughs> They're two. It was like Hootie did that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if they're still playing, but you know their last two albums. Uh, you know the music videos for the for some of those songs on those albums debuted on CMT, and they got a little bit country, hmm. which is kind of surprising. But um, yeah, man, that's like a, that's a fascinating career pivot to me because there yeah. there's so many like young country stars that like they they tr- they attempt the pivot from pop country to just straight pop. Yeah. And they just kind of like slowly leech out like the twang and like the fiddle disappears. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Miley Cyrus and um, Taylor Swift, obviously. But even more fascinating is kind of like the slow like disappearance into like country music that a few people. Mm-hmm. I was talking about, you know, I was mentioning uh, Darius from Hootie and the Blowfish yeah. has, I think, become a pretty successful country artist. Oh, big time. Big, big time. country writer as well. I yeah. saw him at uh, Billy Bob's in Fort Worth. <laughs> there you are. Yeah. Seven years ago or so. <laughs> It's a great time. Billy Bob's. Is that uh, Billy Bob Thornton's music venue? Nope, but uh, it's the biggest honky tonk in the world. Oh, shit. Biggest honky tonk in the world. I don't know what that means, but that's impressive. <laughs> it's, it's because of the narrow definition of what a honky tonk is, I think. <laughs> Speaking of... Uh, is that some sort of room in Texas? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. We can talk about actors uh, that have, you know, forayed into music and uh, maybe taken that a little too seriously. You know, there was Jared Leto around the same time yeah, yeah. that yeah. this movie came out with 30 Seconds to Mars. And uh, Billy Bob Thornton, you know, has a project called uh, The Box Masters. There's uh-huh. a uh, interview that uh, the three of us always watch. It's Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> oh on uh, <laughs> Radio Q, Radio Q <laughs> where he, I guess, has specifically instructed his manager to inform the producers of Radio Q not to bring up his film career <laughs> because he's there to talk about The Box Masters. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the interviewer, of course, brings up the fact that Billy Bob is most famous for being an actor. Yeah. And he takes a pretty big issue with that. And the, the interview turns South pretty quick. Oh man. But so it's pretty funny. amazing. Cause I feel like the interviewer, it's a little bit like a, like a courtroom drama where it's like, um, you know, you try to get the, the witness to, to, 
to implicate themselves and then you can introduce into evidence something else you know it's like well and it's like oh it's admissible now you know it's like you, you open the door yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like uh, Billy Bob Thornton says like one thing and then that guy goes straight into like movie talk and he's like what are you doing <laughs> my favorite part about that is him talking about the monster magazine he, just like, bring, he brings up out of nowhere and he's like I submitted to monster magazine <laughs> you, you build your own monster did you win? I didn't win it. <laughs> no, he's like, I, I did ask you about, you okay. know, you know what it was like to work on Bad Santa, and you seem to re- refuse to answer any question about <laughs> movies. God, but uh, yeah, you know, Billy Bob Thornton may be taking himself a little too seriously uh, yeah. with we've, the music thing. We've got somebody else that might have taken themselves pretty seriously with music coming up. After yeah, this. we, we have right. another actor in a band another on this playlist. Uh, stay tuned, uh, Nikki. What do we have next? This is Twelve Rods with glad that it's over. and a little bit of research on 12 rods when getting ready for this episode and uh, maybe you guys can help shed some light on this i think there may be some competing information out there that's maybe been tampered with mm-hmm. 12 rods wikipedia page says that uh, one of their releases is one of the few that pitchfork has given a 10.0 to supposedly uh, 96 yeah, and i i did a little bit of digging <laughs> I can't find anything close to that. I found a 12 Rods uh, review that, that Pitchfork gave one of the lowest ratings I've ever seen, which is a 2.0. And the author of the article says that the album like caused them physical pain of ha- because of how bad it was. So I think that maybe someone has uh, tampered with this, the Wikipedia. This is, this is my theory, and it is a, an opposite theory to that, which is the EP came out, the EP in question came out, I think, in 1996. I think that I heard or stumbled upon Pitchfork maybe 2004 or something. Like, we're talking about early days of a music blog. Yeah. And I've, uh, Pitchfork has since been, like, purchased by Condé Nast and been essentially subsumed and turned into Rolling Stone. And uh, right. at the time, they, I've read stories of several music critics who worked at Pitchfork for quite some time that got pushed out kind of before the Condé Nast days and have had their reviews disappear or and ratings have been changed uh, retroactively. Okay. Especially since um, back in the day, the ratings, I think, were given by a single reviewer. Yeah. And since uh, the Pitchfork ratings have become such like a, a valuable commodity... Um, they've the reviews, especially f- I think for all the albums, are aggregated from a bunch of. Di- I mean, uh, at the end of every right. episode here, uh, we talk about rating things in in fifteens uh, with uh, decimal points allowed as a little bit of a joke on uh, what the Pitchfork review, which is something wait, that wait, that's a joke too, guys. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. That, so the Pitchfork reviews are famously done in these like yeah, ridiculous yeah. increments, like something that's like uh, you know a point three of anything doesn't make any sense when you're talking about music, which is essentially like a, uh, you know, a completely subjective art form. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the reason why we have the decimal points now is that it's a, 
it's an average of, of different um, music critics that work for Pitchfork. I don't know how their algorithm works. Um, but I think since they've overhauled um, their system and since it's now this big thing, they might have uh, scrubbed a lot of the old reviews. Um, <laughs> I have never heard of this that, band before or, today. Or we got to go and check the, uh, the edit history. And if it leads to oh, one, of the, <laughs> one of the band members, yeah, yeah, like, it actually it wasn't one of the lowest. It's one of the highest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, that is, I oh, think so. That is a genius edit too. If you can somehow get Wikipedia to say that you had a perfect Dude, score. You can. And the, until like a moderator catches you, you can kind of get away with little, like tiny little tweaks on. I will Wikipedia. say uh, to, to my, I didn't realize that pitchfork predated the year 2000. So <laughs> maybe it doesn't. Maybe this is complete bullshit. Oh, man. I think one of the, the drummer for 12 Rods went on to, uh, was one of the founding members of the Bad Plus, which is a, uh, yeah, like yeah. a modern jazz that. trio oh. that does like yeah, covers kind of, of like Apex Twin songs. Indie, indie pop jazz. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. Cool. But uh, yeah, wasn't too familiar with 12 Rods, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too crazy about the song, to be honest. This is playing when Sean Brumder, Colin Hanks, uh, goes to the college counselor, Lily Tomlin, and uh, she is switched up his transcript Man, it's a pretty like, funny scene pretty good scene kind of freaked me out a little bit watching that scene because i did have an experience that was not exactly similar to this but you know the school that i went to uh, had a, a little bit of a dysfunctional college counselor interesting and you know for myself and i think some other students uh she definitely she didn't mix up transcripts but she definitely straight up forgot to submit uh, one of my college applications. It's and, a high pressure job, man. You know, also in the process, I don't know how it was where you guys went to school, but our grading scale was a little different. Mm-hmm. Like uh, a 90 was a B. And what? <laughs> just, oh, that, just what, a, it? what a fucking night. So, so like, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of those new age feel gooderies. <laughs> <laughs> A 93 was uh, the lowest day. That was an A minus. So, you know, for <laughs> in submitting, you know, our applications, you know, our GPAs aren't really on par with everyone else's in the world. So in the process, the school told us that we're actually going to adjust your GPAs to what everyone else's are so that, like, you actually have a fair shot of getting into school, which they, they, which they never, they never did. did. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, why didn't? Why does your school do that in the fucking first place? Just that makes no sense. Just to make it more difficult, I guess. I'm not really. A 90 was an A for you guys, I imagine. That was yeah. the lowest A. Yeah. 80 to I, 89 I was an A. Yeah, it yeah. makes so it makes so little sense to make a 90 a B. And I was still. one of those students that was always right on that cusp. If I had yeah. actually been represented like everyone else, you know, my GPA would have been a lot higher. It's a long way for a brag, Nick. I'm glad you got good <laughs> grades in high school, man. Humble brag. No. I was, no, no. One thing kidding. I did, uh, so I hadn't seen this movie in many years, yeah. and uh, it, it was funny watching it now. I, a part, I think a lot of it has to do with all of the great actors who were in this movie in small roles, mm-hmm. but I was constantly like, <laughs> relating a lot more to the adults in the film <laughs> yeah so like lily tomlin um, is so funny even though she's supposed to be kind of like a hapless villain i'm yeah. just like she's so cool yeah it's like the whole thing you know it's like uh you know the the admission counselor all these people i'm like <laughs> kind of rooting for them the whole time <laughs> i mean the little things that like leslie mann does Catherine o'hara does so many i, I just watched a mighty wind a few days ago and like 
man, Catherine O'Hara, she's, I mean, Shit's Creek, oh, obviously, yeah, yeah. but like, incredible. Just these tiny little things that she does about like <laughs> the story she tells. And she's like, well, um, I will preface that, um, uh, Sean's father left me a couple of years ago. And he goes, it's like super. T- I am sure she improv it or something, but uh, I was so every time Lithgow and Catherine O'Hare were involved, I was I really wanted the movie just to be about them. Yeah, yeah, it sounds much better film. Although I did the math, and uh, Jack Black was my age in this, and he, like when I was a kid, he seemed impossibly old, <laughs> and I'm just like, oh man, you know what? He's doing fine. He's doing better than. I am right now. I read that he was wearing a wig the whole time, which I don't even understand. What? Wig the whole time. Um, I Because if you look at like Shallow Howe, which came out the year before, he had a really short haircut. I don't think he could have that long hair if there's a Jack Black's places. been bald for the last 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. You guys want to hear track 10? Yeah, let's do it. This is Korashi with Stick Em Up. Yeah, I was talking earlier about um, the 90s and early 2000s record labels, how excited they were to try to get some white guys rapping. Mm-hmm. So excited they went all the way to Iceland. So they find, <laughs> okay, they found these guys from Iceland and, you know, they don't sound very foreign, whatever. Yeah. Uh, they signed a deal. This is a band that I've never heard of before, but in 2000, they signed a deal with Columbia Records for six albums. Jeez, man. Oh my God. What? <laughs> Maybe we like bandits. Saga. saga deal. Can you imagine being like, I mean, there was so much great hip hop coming out like uh, the 2000s being like a independent like Bay Area, New York City, whatever, you know, hip hop, great hip hop artists all around the country. And then these record labels are like going to Iceland to try to find some fucking white dudes that can rap. I mean, to date, this was the high watermark for rap rock. No question. Like the early 2000s. I mean, POD, I think, was blowing up TRL, I'm sure, like, you know, during all this. And they're like, this has got to be the future. Because think about it. (laughs) And this was all over MTV, too. And uh, they did have some music that was in uh, Levi's ad for their low-res jeans. Oh, nice. Yeah, let's talk about the fashion happening in this movie. And and, and our uh, personal lives. What kind of fashion choices were you making in 2002? Oh Where were you God. shopping? Probably pretty close to what Colin Hanks is wearing, which was like cargo <laughs> pants, yeah, cargo. sandals, and a collared golf shirt. Yeah, what kind of collar under? Like a, uh, yeah, it's yeah. about right. I, I, yeah, I wanted to make fun of the, the, the fashion, but it's... It's very much coming back. That's what's, that's the scary part. My my girlfriend Kelsey is like, ladies, we do not want this to come back. Low rise jeans, like please. I've lived it. I didn't like it. Oh, you I, will not like it. I fucking hate it. The only, I can, I only hope that like the just the cycles keep getting turned up quicker and quicker. That this is like a 
maybe a six month thing and the jeans can go back to normal. But I'm seeing a lot of fucking nineties jeans out there and it's terrifying. Oh God. It, they're unflattering. No matter how in shape you are, it makes it so much more difficult to wear low rise <laughs> jeans. I know from experience. <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, when I was a kid, the style of clothes of like some of the rap rock era bands and bands oh, like yeah. and new metal bands, jinkos and things like that yeah i was so jealous of people whose parents would let them buy jinkos yeah we were not allowed to uh go shopping at those places a friend left some jinkos at my house and Lucky. i stole them from him but yeah i wasn't really allowed to buy them on my own yeah. it was like sagging was like a big no-no mm-hmm. it was like chain wallets sagging. yeah i i had some JNCOs. spiky hair i i dabbled a bit um i i felt like i wore too many collared shirts but like i loved the baggier pants mm-hmm. um i was just too scared to go full like <laughs> full rap rock or to go full uh, <laughs> no. emo i couldn't do it i wanted to i wore like billabong <laughs> shirts and chokers but like my friends would make fun of me so i'd take them off in the bathroom and stuff <laughs> yeah man i was i had jinkos but um before the like this is what 2002 or something? 2002, 2002 yeah. so the jinkos were probably put into cold storage a few years before this the good thing about jinkos is um <laughs> wait what <laughs> i like where this is going uh, i'm going somewhere is i i eventually grew into them uh so like you know i had them in middle school in like fifth grade and they were like down to my ankles and then i just got taller and they just turned into normal shorts which oh i nice. thought you were gonna say my legs kept getting fatter and fatter especially at the ankles well, and now too, it's my yeah. super wide ankles i remember i did have some stussy shirts some massimo shirts bugle boy uh was it lucky lucky brand jeans were big yeah. big um, dog pack sun <laughs> big stuff. dog, big dog. Yeah. no fear no fear i had no a no fear. fear slammer yeah i still have a no fear shirt can't win the game when you're sitting on the bench i think you guys <laughs> you guys no are fear. like no uh, fear. you guys are conflating like 92 <laughs> yeah, with 2002 yeah. that's very true uh, anyways nikki what do we got next let's hear some of track 11 this is you know bell bottoms uh, they're basically bell bottoms uh swingers jeans oh you know i i did have like a keyboard tie that's right i I got a cop to that flock of seagulls you know 2000s (laughs) let's hear track 11 this is pete yorn with lose you when i can't stand mentioned that i saw one of these artists open for weezer oh, so i did a little bit of digging it, yeah. i either i saw pete yorn he either opened for weezer or dave matthews band at a show that i saw at the cynthia woods mitchell pavilion in the woodlands oh, but yeah. uh i can't remember for the life of me who it was but you know i remember it was kind of like the early days uh for pete yorn and he's kind of like the early veteran indie rock guy yeah definitely that enjoys music it's definitely a much uh, cooler uh ticket to hold on to than my lit ticket i, gotta, <laughs> I don't know man <laughs> i thought we were both gonna say lit <laughs> uh, time will tell time will tell 
<laughs> yeah, I guess it's too early. P. Yorn uh, and Lit. That would have been an interesting bill. Yeah. Uh, on the same soundtrack. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Pete Yorn. I, this in this track, I feel like he's maybe channeling a little bit of uh, Stephen Malkmus mm. uh, payment vibe. Oh yeah, doesn't always sound that way. I know that he. I think one of his most successful records might have been the one he did with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's done like a couple of songs with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah. What are the uh, Pete Yorn somehow has eluded me. I've always heard the name. Yeah, yeah. Um, I same with me. Same with me. I'm. I feel like a lot of times on this podcast, uh, we kind of cruise by artists that I know little about, and I just kind of like know that nobody else knows anything about. But I know that a lot of people are into Pete Yorn, and so yeah. Um, if I say anything, I'll probably get it wrong. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, better than what I do is I just go, oh yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I know that guy. Totally. Just heard it all about him, but you talk about it. Kim. He's the king. Yeah, he's the greatest. <laughs> what can you say? Beat Yorn. <laughs> this is playing uh, when uh, Sean Brumder sees a, a woman <laughs> reading a book in the quad and he's like, hey, is that Faulkner? Nice. <laughs> and then she makes up an excuse to go that like I read as like, I I gotta get out of here. You're creeping me out because I'm trying to read. But uh, then she invites him to a party. I don't know. Maybe college that would work. Not today's world though. Leave her alone. <laughs> Let her read the book. She's probably who's this creepy 25 year old talking? <laughs> yeah, she's like, do you even go to school here? No, no. no. Long story. <laughs> um, I, I I asked Steph. I was like, oh, are you like? Uh, do you listen to much Pete Yorn? You like Peter Bjorn and John? I was like, oh. that's yeah. <laughs> easy to confuse. Easy, easy to, to confuse. confuse. Classic mix up. <laughs> Now, Peter, Bjorn, and John. Oh, now we can get it. <laughs> yeah. This is probably one of the better songs that I've heard on the soundtrack so far tonight. Yeah, yeah it's a little sleepy, but I think it's, you know, part of the film. There, there is a gap in um, music in this. I think uh, one of the good things about the soundtrack is that uh, every song on the soundtrack appears in the movie, which <laughs> shockingly doesn't happen that often. Yeah. But, um, but uh, there is a little gap in some music parts, and I think this is sort of during one of the lulls. Oh, uh, we should say that um, I think one of the additions to the soundtrack was released with another a second CD that had uh, literally just some music that MTV was trying to push. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The bonus tracks we had some artists such as uh, Zebrahead, Zebrahead for you guys in the UK, <laughs> the Ataris. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Is it zebra? <laughs> no, no, that, that late. I got Zed, it. I got it. Zed, I, like Zed, Zed top. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Kids and um, Ill Kid, if you guys are familiar. But uh, those are just, yeah, the random bonus tracks that they tacked on for a yeah, limited edition bonus CD. It's nice. so funny. Like, uh, there is there's Cash a grand tradition yeah. of of movie soundtracks. Um, it's it's the phrase music from and inspired by. Yeah, and uh, it would have been really easy for MTV just to put a like disc two music inspired by. <laughs> they didn't even bother to do that. There's <laughs> like other new music. <laughs> Tell your other friends. Tell MTV. <laughs> I haven't watched MTV lately, so I'm not quite sure what's going on. But I mean. You know, MTV was such a part of my... I would watch it every day. Oh, yeah. I, I would come home and TRL would come on at 3.30. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my friends and I, we would like three-way call each other. And we wouldn't even really talk on the phone. We would just kind of like watch MTV together, like over the phone. Nice. And um, I remember some of the shows I would watch a bunch were Daria. Yeah. 
And um, there's a show called Undressed. Undressed. Well, that was late night. And yeah, uh, you'd watch it night. all night hoping to find somebody actually undressed. And it never happened. Uh, <laughs> I Real world. I never had cable. I, yeah. So I never had MTV, I think, through you know my entire childhood. Um, but I think I had one grandparents when, when I was there. Mm-hmm. MTV was on, and I would just fucking mainline it. Yeah. yeah and man. I would just stay up all night. I would watch, you know, Smashing Pumpkins videos way into the night, and then it would be, uh, you know, like, liquid television with Aeon Flux, and yeah. there yeah. was a, will, a short called The Head yeah. about an alien living in a guy's head, and it was Freaked so great. Yeah, man. Y- y- that was a much cooler era of uh, MTV uh, than what than what Nick and I got. Uh, so <laughs> We got a lot of spring break. Yeah. You know? We had, like, yeah. Next... Uh, like a date, they were already like way into the reality TV show. They were like, Punked was this is uh, where it big is. at the time. Oh, the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Punked? Tom, <laughs> Tom Green Show? No, oh, yeah, yeah, Tom, 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 Green, Tom, Tom Green, Green Show. Man. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier. Tom Green Show was amazing. But, uh, <laughs> Those poor parents. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. Who knows what's going on with MTV these days? It's probably run by children. <laughs> I, I feel like the programming has probably gotten. Um, <laughs> probably got a little, <laughs> little bit better little children uh, tiny babies shout out to uh mtv scream uh that was a big fun show that um one of my friends carlson young was on um i think it's more stuff like that i'm guessing like just drama i mean they moved away from music for the yeah. last i mean people four decades, people you know? criticize mtv for not like playing music videos anymore that hasn't but, happened uh, that hasn't happened for 30 years yeah well like uh have you ever watched like um sometimes i'll just like put on like the antenna and you'll stumble across a new episode of america's home home videos Mm -hmm. and it's just youtube clips and it's that one dad that like i've seen everywhere but yeah but you're just like wait why am i watching youtube on tv and that's what mtv would be like if they were playing music videos you'd be like why am i watching music on television i'm watching youtube where i can't control anything this is madness <laughs> uh, remember, but we loved it <laughs> i remember matt pinfield john, yeah. john norris kurt loader carson daly <laughs> there's a uh, in one of the inter- Polly shore doing some like <laughs> spring break stuff. the best vj ever <laughs> kennedy's okay. become like a fox news troll <laughs> yeah it's really terrifying it's so uh so uh mike white uh does a, did a bunch of like they did a bunch of promotional interstitials that i was talking about and one of them is he's like just you know, uh, fielding questions in the English class, you know, where he's just like a terrible teacher that knows less than Colin Hanks. And one of them is like, so what are some, uh, who are some legends that you guys know of? Who are some like old legends? And someone's like, Kurt Loder. He's like, Kurt Loder. Perfect. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> I'm telling you about a little guy called William Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of movies made on William Shakespeare. Okay. And he, he like gets it wrong too. Mike yeah. White is, is, uh, we should say legit, like super talented, super oh, funny. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, what was the HBO show? Uh, it's, uh, enlightened, um, enlightened with Laura Dern. Yeah. And it's, okay. uh, I never saw that. But. I never got super into it, but some people really, it was, it's kind of famous as being one of those HBO shows that, was like too good too good and uh didn't have like wide audience appeal and i think it only went like a season or two but he was like the creator and writer wrote school of rock for jack black yeah yeah this is a well-written movie it's actually a well everything kind of is good about it i mean the cast is so good that like if if it did fail like it would have just been the fault of it's a uh, funny know. thing. Nothing's like great about. It. I mean, the cast is great, but like the writing's not great. Like nothing's like that. That's the thing. It doesn't take 
it's nothing's like remarkable about it. It's just kind of like good in every way. And then the cast is amazing. To me, it might've been the epitome of teen movies at an era which teen movies dominated. However, I think it was too smart of a teen movie to be super successful. But I think in time it's held up. It was like way, way better. But maybe yeah. like a little bit too tasteful. <laughs> yeah, seriously though. Cause it's like, you guys forgot why we have teen movies in the first place. <laughs> It's to see a boob, and it's for some dude to drink, you know, semen or fuck a pot. Right? That's why I go to the theater. Oh uh, man, you guys want to hear track twelve? Yeah, let's do it. This is Creeper Lagoon <laughs> with Under the Tracks. Creeper Lagoon. I don't know if they were the first band to start using the word lagoon in band names, but I know that became a popular thing. Kind of like uh, <laughs> what? Wait, did it? There's youth, youth lagoon. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, youth okay. lagoon. You know, then there was also like wolf was a word that a lot of oh, bands started lot using, and then like yeah. neon was a popular. Yeah. yeah neon okay. trees, neon Indians. Yeah. I kind of. Uh, I always. One of the things I always think about, and probably one of the things I always talk about on this podcast, is like a. Uh, the way that we think about these terrible band names that become uh, disassociated from how bad the stupid name is because the band is great or yeah. we just get used to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the Beatles is like a really stupid name. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think one of them had the idea for the Beatles. Like I think maybe it was John Lennon. Like he like had a dream or something and he's like the Beatles. It's really, like, it's, what? I mean, it's uh, the Beatles works because it was kind of, uh, it's so early that there was no reason to have a bad band name. Because there had only been like 10 bands. So like, why not pick a good one? And that's what, what makes it kind of amazing. Uh, but this is like, you know, in the 90s, there are so many uh, bad band names that you just kind of like, you you internalize and you forget how bad they are. And I just Limp kind Biscuit. of, uh, I imagine, jam. I imagine yeah. like a Mandela effect world where if this band became big, you like woke up one morning and somebody's like, oh yeah, you like that, uh, <laughs> that Creeper Lagoon song? You're like, what? <laughs> Creeper like, Lagoon, the like, best band in the world. Like, did you say Creeper Lagoon? It's like, yeah, man. Everybody knows Creeper Lagoon. <laughs> I don't know who's been making this mistake, but apparently this song has been falsely attributed to Coldplay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that uh, on many an occasion, which yeah. I I wouldn't have thought that at all. But Dude, I guess. I think early earlier Coldplay had this vibe. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, in the Napster days, man, that was a wild west. There yeah. were so many misattributed songs. Just a reminder at the end of the episode, we we're going to add a song, our favorite uh, color song. Cold play. Cold play. Color song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, <laughs> we'll see if it happens. Creeper Lagoon. <laughs> Creeper <Teasing>. Lagoon was. <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. <laughs> Creeper Lagoon was named Spin Magazine's best new artist of 1998. <laughs> Oof, Spin. What happened? You blew it, Spin. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned when I was in high school, I, I, went, I saw Cake like three times. I saw, yeah. <laughs> saw Lit live. <laughs> you know, we don't know what the future holds. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody has a crystal skull. Crystal will, uh, will shows ever happen again? 
Oh man. Yeah. Sure. This uh, this song is playing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, no, we don't know. <laughs> yes. Uh, this song is playing when uh, Sean has just met with uh, Kevin Klein. He's had a great conversation with Marcus Skinner, uh, the author, and who read his stuff, which is super sweet. I thought that was very nice of, of Marcus Skinner to read, you know, Sean Brumder's crappy high school <laughs> creative writing stuff. And then he kind of talks to him about life and like, you got to stay in Orange County, man. <laughs> He's like, it kind of say it cuts to a scene of them like in Marcus Skinner's office and <laughs> all of a sudden they're like smoking and drinking whiskey, drinking talking Scott. about writing. Yeah. Like, hey, man, what are you doing on campus? At- yeah probably one o'clock in the morning at yeah, this point yeah. oh, so uh chris you and i were talking about the movie earlier and you said yeah. that you you thought it would be a more interesting twist if kevin klein uh turned out to be a creepy weirdo yeah i like Never that there's there's like no real villains in this movie except for maybe lily tom <laughs> lily tomlin absolutely i mean and probably chevy chase <laughs> but we don't get to spend enough time with that character to know just how odious he is but we know we know yeah uh <laughs> but i think that one of the nice things um it's like yeah it's like nobody it's just circumstances and this kid's like just kind of like <laughs> things are getting i mean i guess maybe jack black is i mean it's you're you're right though it is it's absolutely man versus himself um and he's coming to terms with like an internal struggle because like the outside factors aren't really that big of a deal it's how much weight he's given these outside factors everybody's like you're gonna be fine man but uh i one of one of the surprising things about the writer about kevin klein's character is that uh somebody's like this kid's like i wrote you a letter I probably in that letter told you how important you are to me. And I, and he's like, Oh yeah, I read that. Yeah. Did you read my story? It's like, Oh yeah, I loved it. It's like, were you going to tell me, man? Think maybe to write me back. <laughs> oh yeah. That's true. <laughs> he never like, even responded. This is a great story. Crinkle, crinkle. <laughs> yeah. Trash bag. <laughs> Waste bin. <laughs> oh, it just reminds me of the last scene in uh, Stand By Me. Check out our Stand By Me episode. Oh, yeah, that's a great episode. Where um, Richard Dreyfus, you know, it cuts to him later in life and he puts the finishing touches on his book. And he's like, all done, and just turns <laughs> off his computer, computer without instantly. saving. Yeah. <laughs> Almost gave me a panic attack. Yeah, that was in the early 90s, man. <laughs> Apple X. 80s, excuse oh, me. Yeah, late late 80s. even worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like Kevin Klein in this. Oh, he's no well. accent. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Klein's amazing. <laughs> you guys want to hear some of track number 13? Let's do it. This is Brian Wilson once again with Love and Mercy. I was lying in my room in the Brian Wilson, if you haven't seen the biopic documentary, I think documentary. (laughs) If you haven't seen the Brian Wilson uh, movie, love and mercy, it's very, very good. It's got Paul Giamatti in it and uh, it's got Elizabeth Banks and Paul Giamatti plays the uh, very controlling uh, personal manager for Brian Wilson. There's like this uh, classic scene where (laughs) Brian Wilson's at a uh, backyard barbecue and uh, he just wants a cheeseburger <laughs> and elizabeth banks the love interest uh just wants brian to you know get his uh, delicious 
hamburger, and uh, Paul Giamatti is not having it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's one of the most insane scenes in a movie I've ever seen. It was like, you know, Brian Wilson's like benzoed out or something like that, and he just like paws at a cheeseburger. <laughs> like, He's like, do I want cheeseburger? <laughs> and then Paul Giamatti's like, you got a mask! You yeah. can't do this! He's <laughs> like, like the same character that he plays in every movie. <laughs> Keeping him drugged up, and you're like, That's What's, what is going on? Great yeah. movie, though. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen the film. Brian Wilson is like a, you know, a genius and a sweet guy. And uh, by all accounts, he was taken advantage of by a lot of people. But I think it would be super funny if none of that actually happened. And uh, Paul Giamatti, the guy that the character was based on, was like watching the film. And he was like watching this. He was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Why would I? What? I was like, I wasn't even at the barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) Even... Even if you watch the movie and believe that happened, there's 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 a tinge of like there's a tinge of like maybe Paul Giamatti's right. I don't know. Like, should Brian have the burger? I mean, Brian Brian Wilson gained like 400 pounds or something insane at one point, and like maybe he did need somebody to like you know keep him from eating cheeseburgers specifically. I guess I don't know. I don't know. But it was a great looking cheeseburger. And, by the way, uh, I, gotta, I do mean to. I gotta watch that movie. You guys keep talking. Very good. <laughs> Great barbecue. Um, Great barbecue scene. <laughs> uh, Paul Dano plays the young Brian Wilson. Oh, who, yeah, man, he's great. Know, looks nothing like the old <laughs> Brian Wilson. Which is, I don't know why John Cusack and Paul like so much of a different face. Everything. Yeah. Um, but uh, I man. I'm kind of over Paul Dano. I don't think I ever thought he was a good actor. Ah. I, uh, I, I go back and watch some of his stuff. I just saw 12, uh, 12 years of slave. Yeah, man. I thought he was really bad. Um, I, I want to fight him. Uh, no, I'm okay. <laughs> he's, uh, he's uh, going to be the new Riddler in the new, uh, Robert Pattinson, Batman. I'm telling you, man, it's going to be super gonna weird. Be, I'm scared for that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like this song quite a bit. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, this is song. later Brian Wilson, maybe uh, record released in the 80s. Yeah, it's, it's always good to hear from Brian Wilson, whatever the context. And th- these are the two, the two Brian Wilson songs are like the most introspective um, parts of the movie where Sean is just kind of like, ah, things are happening. Bad things are good things. And this is when he's alone in his room and he's like, just found out he got into stanford and then he's about to tell his parents and everybody that he's not gonna go i kind of wish that i mean this is uh there's a lot of music in this movie and you see the main character roll his eyes at like uh at music that other characters are listening to but he's never listening to music true like uh brian wilson is scoring kind of his actions so you're kind of supposed to associate this music with him but he's like it would have been nicer if he was like fucking you know, Orange County and he put on his headphones and he listened to like old California music, like music that like sounded like California. David Lee Roth, California. <laughs> <laughs> that old California. I think that would have been cool, but you know, instead I think we're just left to, to make the connections. But yeah, this is, this is supposed to be, I think his inner monologue. There's, I mean, there's something about, you know, he's dying to get out of Orange County. This, oh, this piece of shit town. This beautiful town. This highest wealth per capita of any town, of any county in the Monster United States. Oh, there's a part where he's like, how can I live here? I'm just going to throw myself into my above ground pool or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, man. 
The house seems nice. <laughs> yeah, or you have your choice of two houses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like your dad seems to be uh, living in a pretty kick-ass mansion too, right down the road. It sounds uh, like he wants he wants to get you involved in his business, whatever that is. <laughs> Yelling at people. Yelling still at people. unclear. He's always yelling with a Bluetooth headset on. Yes. Uh, I guess we should talk about um, his two best friends in this movie. Uh, it's Arlo and Chad. Yeah, they, um, they want to get lit and jump off the roof. That's kind of their MO. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of this, the burnout surfer bros that, like, you know, I guess are his foils and, like, this is what he could end up being. Kyle Howard is sort of a um, a character actor that I saw a lot growing up. He was a big like child star, and I could not uh, stop thinking about House Arrest. This whole movie. Do you guys, did you guys ever see House Arrest? Sounds so. familiar. Remind me. Man, it was one of those movies. Like, what if we kidnapped our parents and put them in the basement? Oh, <laughs> like, Jesus! No, it's so much darker. <laughs> okay. It's got Shooter McGavin and like Wallace Shawn in it. Um, <laughs> the thing that I love about Shooter the McGavin are they the kids? They're the parents. <laughs> Is that actor. Yeah, he's never going to be professionally known by his real name. He, he <laughs> is Shooter, Shooter McGavin. He's known as Shooter. Oh man, Shooter! Uh, that was like he was on cameo, right? As Shooter McGavin. Uh, Shooter. Yeah. He's like, I just, I know, just like, I'm I know. Shooter. <laughs> he's handled it well, I think. Yeah. Um, I remember, I recognized uh, the friend that dies. I think he was on a TV show called Reaper. Nice. I remember. Uh, yeah, playing a high schooler, probably uh, maybe six or seven years after this movie came out. <laughs> Twenty-five year old high schooler. Yeah, that's that's the. That's one of my favorite things. That's one of my favorite things. (laughs) I did see an interview with uh, Colin Hanks. Uh, He was at a premiere for the documentary he made about the Eagles of Death Metal. Yeah, concert. I watched the same thing. Yeah, and uh, you know they're talking about the thing, and then they're like, "By the way, it's like the anniversary for Orange County. Like fifteen year. Can you give us a soundbite on Orange County?" And he's like, "Yeah, it was great." (laughs) <laughs> yeah it was like oh oh yeah like uh just to for have to have anybody talk about something i did 15 years later it's a success you know <laughs> like yeah. did you like it and he's like hey it's a success that people are <laughs> yeah, talking about it was, it was a thing <laughs> but you know he, he talked about jack black having good chemistry and i think yeah the unsung hero of this whole movie was jack black for sure jack black's very very funny. Colin, colin hanks could have been played by anybody i thought colin honest, hanks is good though i like colin good. hanks right, is but, like a a good it's funny, Tom Hanks, famous good guy, has more than one son. <laughs> Colin Hanks is the good one. Yeah. The good son. It ended up being a, a bit of a biopic for <laughs> for Tom Hanks, knowing that one of his oh, yeah. sons is a complete shit. Yeah, Chet, Chet Hanks is Chet the Hanks. <laughs> a little close to home. AKA Chet Hayes. I don't think I know him. <laughs> I don't know a lot about Chet. What's oh going on with Chet? Dude, he just went, what? He went viral again, again. today. Uh, he yeah. can't stop doing <laughs> idiotic he stuff. Was, he was declaring that this was going to be a uh, white boy summer or something. What? Chet? <laughs> I don't know. He's like a rapper. What does that mean? <laughs> Unclear. I don't know what that means. He's a rapper and there's a lot, there's a lot of like TikTok and um, uh, Instagram footage of him just like speaking patois. Uh, yeah, yeah. like he's really got, well like, is he, is he older a, brother younger brother younger brother younger brother thick mm-hmm. accent Interesting. he's got a very thick accent for a Hanks wow yeah. <laughs> that's fascinating <laughs> yeah. get uh, it together chat <laughs> uh, anyway, anyway should we hear some of uh, track 14 let's do it this is Phantom Planet with California
fun driving in the sun, looking out for number one. California, here we come, right back where we started from. Well, hustlers, grab your guns, your shadow weighs a ton, driving down the 101. California, here we come, right back where we started from. California. Yeah, it's an iconic song. Yeah. After, I guess, this movie put Orange County on the map, this song ended up being the theme song for the OC. Yeah, it became uh, so, I mean, I think going back to my point, uh, (laughs) my point valid or not about my belief that uh, California kind of lost a rock and roll sound after the 80s, I think that this song does a good job at sounding like the early 2000s in California. Yeah. So good that it kind of became the only California song uh, in rock for like maybe 20 years. It's this unmistakable California drums played by uh, Jason Schwartzman. Jason, Jason Schwartzman. This is, I haven't like uh, checked this fact in a long time, so I might be fucked up, but I believe that this is before he left the band because I know that he, he was a drummer originally and they put out a record or two and then he left to pursue acting, you know, obviously uh, Rushmore and then uh, whatever else. And well, he was in Rushmore before this. Uh, yes. I think that is correct. Yeah. Chris. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. You are Chris. <laughs> um, but I think that they kind of, I think this song had long legs. Like I said, I, yeah. you know, the OC hadn't, the show hadn't even come out yet. So I think Still that getting resig. they became a much bigger band after like long after Jason Schwartzman had left. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody, every once in a while, somebody will kind of be like, can you imagine this guy had, you know, he was a high schooler. He was in this band that became famous and then he became a famous actor. And it's like, yeah, isn't he like Francis Ford Coppola's nephew? <laughs> isn't he fucking Nicolas Cage's cousin? <laughs> Everyone in this movie, six degrees. Than, yeah, this movie is about nepotism. It's about, like, like, man, Colin Hanks is just this you know, kid trying to get into Stanford. That's you know the son of a famous maybe movie producer, and like I don't know. <laughs> I love this song. I will agree that this is uh, iconic of California all, to the extent that it's parodyable, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's funny. I was listening to the song. I was trying to like pick a good... Uh, I, I, I'm not like good enough about talking about like, uh, you know, like the parts of a song to know like what truly is what. But uh, the song seems to be like five choruses all put together. <laughs> like it's like i'm like oh yeah this is the part that's a, and it's like oh no and then it goes into it's like is this a verse i feel like this is like that and it's like no and then it goes into the chorus it feels like all chorus but like four different choruses it's like such an anthemic song it's like the piano part but it's like no that's just like an intro i don't know i kind of get confused like that when i hear rich girl <laughs> i'm just like okay yeah okay that's verse one and now we're at the wait. What's happening? Is it just is it just a chorus the whole time? I was kinda, there's no verse two. I put this song on. I was like, oh well, this is easy to, because it starts with the chorus, like driving down the 101, California. It's like, oh no, like the chorus is like California, and it's like, oh wait, is the chorus a, here we go? And it's like, wait, where? Where is it? It just keeps escalating. It sounded like you were singing the intro to uh, Entourage. <laughs> Shout out to Entourage. <laughs> Entourage. <laughs> I don't know. 
this is the second credit song. Second <laughs> credit song. So I don't think I made it that yeah. far into the credits. This was also a, a rental for me. I couldn't find it on a streaming service. Yeah, you have to rent this on a streaming service. Unfortunately, listeners, did anybody watch the movie? It's in preparation. Cinemax. Uh, if you do have yeah, a Cinemax, yeah. Cinemax, you can, Cinemax. Cinemax. You can watch it. In, no one with has the Hulu plugin. <laughs> yeah, nobody has Cinemax. I didn't even know that was a thing. I'm hoping Paramount Plus would keep this. Paramount uh, Plus. I mean, this is an MTV movie. Paramount is an MTV uh, thing. Is that the Viacom? That's Viacom, baby. Paramount Plus. Uh, give us a free taste, and uh, we'll plug it on the podcast. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not going to get it. <laughs> I have too many pluses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Guys, uh, track 15, the last track. Oh, yeah. This is, I think, actually a hidden track on the CD, but it is our last track on the track listing. Love a hidden track. This is Sugar Bomb with Hello. I feel so peculiar. I don't know what to say. Sugar Bomb, the classic uh, Fort Worth, Texas sound. Yeah, yeah baby. Hand it over to Chris. You want to talk about this band? Please I help. I don't know enough about it to, uh, to speak on it. I couldn't find it. anything. So, okay, um, here's the deal. Uh, Fort Worth is iconic for a few bands. First of all, you've got Flicker Stick, technically from Denton. I saw Flicker Stick. Yeah. Yes. They're a big team. I mean, they hung out in Fort Worth, for sure. I had their first EP. I've never heard of this band. Anyways. It's okay. Also famously. Toadies. Toadies, I know. Toadies. Possum Kingdom. Love Toadies. Uh, I come from the water. Granddaddy from Fort Worth? I wish. I wish. (laughs) I know. Oh, man. Oh, that would be a huge get for Fort Worth. Granddaddy? And then we got Sugar Bomb. Uh, There was a time. uh, There's this place called the Ridgely Theater. Uh, that they moved strictly into emo and screamo bands. And man, they had to have been born out of that. And if they weren't, I, I don't know. But this is before my time. I was, you know, seventh grade, eighth grade in Fort Worth, Texas. But if you know anything about Sugar Bomb, uh, I wish I knew these guys. <sighs> I wish I knew them. I got one. Uh, I have two questions. One question for you. But before uh, I'm going to ask the music, why, why hide this track? What is the, this isn't, that well, was that was kind of this cool thing that bands would way, do. Man. Sometimes you could like rewind the CD from before it started and yeah, there'd yeah. be a hidden track. Or remember at the end of Dookie, there was a hidden track. Hidden, it was remember, the era yeah, of hidden it's tracks. Like a, but I, yeah, a hidden track would, should be like a weird yeah. track. Or like I remember on a Gorillaz record, there was just like a like a cool remix. You know, it's like you hide like a special M1 track. A one. Uh, John Cage, you know, no track. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> silence. Just silence. Uh, this uh, is inexplicable to me. Like why why would you hide? This, you know, I feel like if you were this band and you're like, oh man, MTV is going to put us on this soundtrack. And it's like, where are we? It's like the negative space. So you need to <laughs> first, you need to go to the Phantom Planet. And then when that ends, you got to fast forward 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. You have to give people a map on how to listen to your music. You don't have to do that. Uh, is this, so my question to you, Chris, is, is this song in the movie? I do not believe so. It must be hidden also. <laughs> is it hidden? It's very hidden in the movie. You have to fast forward past oh the end of the credit sequence. <laughs> you actually have to put in the VHS and rewind. You rewind the VHS before, before, the, before the FBI warning. <laughs> yeah. You can hear five seconds of this sugar bomb song. 
It is in the movie. Oh, okay, okay. Right, so at least they're in the movie. It is in the movie. It's when Sean is rebearing uh, the Marcus Skinner book. Oh, okay. In the sand. I was going to guess if it wasn't in, in the, the movie. The credits. Some of the DVDs from this time, they would have a song from the movie on the DVD, mm. like in a special section, which I don't know why you would do. Who, who was listening to songs <laughs> on the DVD? features, man. Yeah. Sorry, Chris. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the book thing because it, it, it's funny in this movie. It's very sweet, but it reminds me uh, mostly of like a horror trope you know like the necronomicon or something it's like you take like the tome of the, you know it's like a cursed tome <laughs> then you're like or you know like the ring yeah, it's like the, the only way thing. i've got to rebury it in the sand <laughs> some other kid will have to try to get it unsuccessfully into stanford <laughs> i mean for me it's like writers can't stop writing about being writers <laughs> like there's so many movies in which there's a kid that's like i just if i could only be a writer or like i'm a struggling writer trying to make it in hollywood oh, an adaptation yeah Thank yeah. goodness maybe the best my it's rich family Zenith. doesn't understand me <laughs> <laughs> i would say poor sugar bomb or it would make more sense if it were a, a band that was already on the album once yeah, and yeah. then they exactly the hidden track but uh but poor sugar bomb never quite made it but mm-hmm. I, i'd check it up i think nick's correct and that like this was the era of hidden tracks people loved it hidden track. Sense. Easter eggs. if it was like jack black uh covering one of the songs on the soundtrack tenacious d came yeah, on if he end. was doing like a little bit of <laughs> yeah. there was also i remember this uh there's like a flaming lip cd zyrica did you guys ever have a copy of that was it if you rewound the first track uh, more annoying it's <laughs> it's four discs and the way it was engineered yeah i never is, i remember that you're supposed that to play everything it. is split up and you're supposed to basically get four stereos and hit play and then you, and then you God. pause and you rewind so everything is paused at zero and then four people hit go well you gotta put on um Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. It yeah, sticks out perfectly when Dorothy. Roar. But I remember the no, thing that a lot of people did was put on four different movies. <laughs> yeah, four copies. It's very complicated setup. You need four VCRs. A lot of wires. Uh, I remember the thing that people would do with Zyrica was they would pull four cars into a parking lot and everyone would blast one of the Zyrica CDs <laughs> and it sounded like a nightmare because no one would do it in time and yeah, it was completely yeah. out of sync. But uh, oh god, oh, I hate that. But uh, the guys, that is the soundtrack to Orange County. Hey, great pick, great pick, man. That was a lot of fun. We're gonna uh, have to recommend. Yeah, before we get to recommendations, we do have to rate and review, and also pick our least favorite, most favorite tracks. Uh, Chris, why don't you lead off? Um, out of uh, fifteen uh, transcripts and, and fifteen surfboards, fifteen swapped transcripts, fifteen Tomlins, uh, fifteen. <laughs> Uh, bottles of Excedrin. <laughs> 15 Harold Ramesses. <laughs> 15 Harold Ramesses. Yeah. Oh, I know. That was so sweet. Yeah. He was such a great uh, person in this in this movie. Doing like a favor for somebody, yeah, clearly. Yeah. All right, Chris. Out of 15 jars of urine, how many <laughs> jars of urine? Decimal points Jars allowed. of clay? <laughs> jars of clay. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, let's start with uh, worst track think i'm gonna go 12 rods uh glad that it's over um were you, were you glad that that song was over i was glad that it was over <laughs> uh uh close second to worst is uh butterfly by crazy town <laughs> oh man it's yeah. i mean you know what only because i heard it so much and it just like i cannot um 
remove that song from my brain but it's flea's baseline (laughs) (laughs) please nothing else oh god um please no more sugar baby (laughs) (laughs) and i think uh my favorite song is probably uh california by phantom planet also a catchy song but i think in a in a way i was like oh yeah like i used to really like this song uh i liked it all through high school um i think this is a great soundtrack i think it absolutely uh fits well with the movie every song uh on the soundtrack appears in the movie which is hard to do um but they make it work and i think it um is used to uh to good effect uh i'm gonna give this a pretty solid rating i'm gonna give it a 13.2 uh jars of urine wow 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 yeah, yeah. that's a lot of urine <laughs> all right nikki how do you feel about the soundtrack how do I feel about this soundtrack? Uh, eclectic mix. You've got alt rock, rap rock, <laughs> pop punk. I kind of wish oh, it I had leaned. That rap rock. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a little bit more of the lit, uh, you know, mm-hmm. Arab music, some more of the pop punk. The rap rock is just always going to irk me a little bit. <laughs> Um, favorite track, least favorite track. I'd say my favorite track was uh, "Lose You." Track eleven, Pete Yorn. Yeah, that's so, a pretty good song. Nice, uh, nice little song. And least favorite track, "Story of My Life" live version. Uh, Social distortion. What? Oh, man. Oh, why okay. is it? Why is it live? <laughs> why is there a live? I remember uh, in high school, a friend of mine bought an Aerosmith CD, and he's really stoked on it. And uh, we got in the car, and he put it on. And he's like, fuck, it's a live album. (laughs) Yeah, man, you got to be careful with that. They were good at (laughs) The last thing you need is a live Aerosmith album. They got you. (laughs) (laughs) Got you good. No returns. (laughs) I'm going to give this kind of a mediocre rating. Just for all, I'm going to have to knock it a few points for all that rap rock. I'm going to give it a uh, 8.0 jars of pee. Okay. Can I be be candid? Yeah. I think I gave it too high a rating. Hey man, too late now. No returns. Yeah, no, 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 returns. no returns. No take backs. Yeah. All right, Nikki. God, I'm a, I'm a little I'm a little disappointed that you put the social D song that that low. I actually kind of really like that song. Live. Why is it live? Um. Okay. It's funny because like I'm like kind of imagining if I were listening to this album without ever hearing any of these songs before. Um. I think that I would probably put Phantom Planets California pretty high. I think if I was being completely honest, I'd probably put Butterfly pretty high. Okay. I think uh, <laughs> it functions so well in the movie in that it's like it it's a it's like a catchy song, but it's played it's it's played for laughs every time, which I love. I kind of I I mean I really like that cake song. My favorite song of this, I gotta say, at this point in my life, has to be Love and Mercy. Um, I love Brian Wilson. Oh yeah. My least favorite, I gotta go First Time by Bad Ronald. It's just so gross. Bad Ronald. Bad Ronald. Bad Ronald. Gross. Yeah, bad Ronald. <laughs> gross and bad. Um, I got to give this soundtrack, I'll give it 6.9 uh, jars of urine. All right. Jars Not of a huge baby. fan, but I don't hate it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the film has held up pretty well, though. Definitely enjoyed watching it. I hadn't seen it since high school. Yeah. And I've uh, still got the DVD somewhere, but, you know. It's worth a rental. I think it's uh, it's worth um, $3.99. 399 don't need it in HD, but get it anyway. Um, okay. Watch oh. it on a weeknight, not not the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we go, we do have to add to our uh, track listing Spotify playlist uh, one of our favorite color songs. That's uh, right. Do you mind if I go first? Take it away. Uh, my track is from 2006, and um, 
This is a, a song that was one of my favorite songs of that year, and it's a song that I still really, really enjoy. It's definitely a period of time in indie rock where there was, I don't know if a premium was put on people that sang really, really badly, but it was kind of a golden age for like just shit singers that don't give a fuck. And I think that that might date the song a little bit. I fear that like, cause like at the time I was like, yeah, this is cause you know, it was like kind of like a way of, uh, of being new in that like nobody's ever sung this, this shitty before on a song. I don't know. Uh, it's a thing that I think that people have, have like a little bit, uh, um, backed off from, but this is a song that I think <laughs> maybe you guys could, uh, give me your, your, uh, thumbs up, thumbs down after it, but it's a song I really love. It's called, uh, the skin of my yellow country teeth by clap your hands. Say, yeah. I mean, some people might call that a uh, scratch vocal, <laughs> not intended for final release. But, you know, if the vibe was there. I mean, the it's so bad. You're like, you're doing it on purpose. Yeah, it's... But it's like, it crosses on, the line. Man. Maybe it's so bad that it becomes like, uh, it's okay. I think yeah. that uh, he's probably leaning into it uh, more than I'm currently comfortable with. Um, <laughs> if this was a new song, I'd be like, come on, man. But uh, because I fell in love with it in the time, well, I, I think like it's a great... the era of digital recording, like you can do it. Yeah, yeah, take yeah. two. I, yes. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a stuck. choice. Yeah. It's a choice. Yeah. It's Intentional a choice. choice. It's a choice. But I really love that song. Uh what do you guys have for me? Who wants to go next? Chris, do you have a pick for us? I do have a color pick for you guys. Um, I'm going all the way back to the year 1966. And this is a song that uh, I saw in my Spotify liked tracks. And I was like, okay, I didn't discover this. Where did I find this? And it was Caleb put this in a game a couple of weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> I want to say maybe a few months ago. A couple of months, a couple of... <laughs> hey, Impossible to what tell. What is time? It <laughs> Who was, knows? Yeah, it was an edition of the our uh, super group game. It was the uh, the bands that was like a, you know, Alpha, Beta, or it was Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. And this is the Bravo. This is the band Los Bravos uh, from Madrid. And uh, the song is Black is Black. So let's hear a cut of that. I want my baby back. It's gray, it's gray. Since she went away, what can I do? Cause I, I feel it But she don't need time to see me again. Oh, what can I do? Cause I, I feel it blue. I can't choose. Yeah, it's uh, 
That song's a jam, and it was definitely um, during the height of the British invasion where everyone is trying to sound British. And it makes a ton of sense that these guys are uh, are Spanish, because when you really pick apart the lyrics, it's like, blue is blue, <laughs> and I love you. <laughs> what? It's very simplistic lyrics, but... It's a jam of a song. I yeah, man. That's I. Uh, I remember that song from when I was a kid. Yeah, I was <laughs> born in the '60s. But uh, <laughs> they uh, recently they have another song that was prominently featured on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I they're they're really really good. Yeah, uh, I mean, and, th- and this song was like I-, I thought they were kind of like an undiscovered uh, band, but uh, researching the song today, it, it charted very high. <laughs> it was like number four in the U.S. and number two in the U.K. and I think number one in Canada. So um, Los Bravos, uh, don't need to tell you, but check them out. Nice, thank you, Chris. Yeah. All right, I've got a pick for us. This song is from August 17th, 1959 was the release date. This is the song Blue and Green off the album Kind of Blue by Miles Davis. Nice. Let's hear some of that. the album kind of blue recorded in uh, 59 that was recorded at columbia's 30th street studios in new york city and uh that was john coltrane playing uh the solo there the song also has bill evans on piano i I love bill evans big fan of his and uh a little bit of controversy with this track you know miles davis is credited as the composer but on many occasions bill evans has said on interviews and uh you know tv interviews at the time he's like yeah, Blue and Green was a song that I wrote. And, uh, oh, man. you know, a lot of uh, fake books and, uh, you know, jazz standard uh, song books, you know, credit uh, Miles Davis. And uh, from having listened to a bunch of Bill Evans's music over the years and being familiar with his kind of piano voicing style and whatnot, I certainly think that that is... Uh, a Bill Evans song that he wrote. Oh, wow. That Miles kind of, uh, you know, just took as his own for whatever reason. And I guess at some point, uh, Bill Evans brought it up to Miles Davis and said like, hey, you know, I feel like I'm entitled to uh, the royalties uh, for this track because you've been making a bunch of money off of it. Yeah. Because, you know, Kind of Blue is the best-selling jazz album in history and it's considered the jazz Bible by, you know, musicians. And uh, it's one of my favorites. And um, apparently Miles Davis wrote Bill Evans a check for $25 (laughs) (laughs) during that conversation. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah. Um, Amazing recording, amazing album. Uh, I always go back to that song, and it feels like it evokes this kind of uh, loneliness. Yeah. And uh, 
I don't know. It's just a beautiful piece. And John Coltrane's solo on it is, is amazing. It's, Apparently they had yeah. no idea what they were going in to record for the most part. And, you know, Miles gave them a little sketch of like, here's kind of a scale that you're going to follow, or here's a basic modal pattern. And they kind of, uh, a lot of people have said over the years that they recorded all of these songs in, you know, one or two sessions in one take, which is not necessarily true. Uh, a lot of these songs, I think, with the exception of maybe Flamenco Sketches, was recorded in one take. But a lot of these songs they did five or six different takes on. But they did wow. record the album in uh, two different sessions. Well, that's the thing. It's like, if it's all like improvisational jazz, which I know this isn't quite, but like... Yeah, who, if you, who owns Who the, owns the, who owns the rights to it? It's like, well, I told you guys to all get together. Yeah. So I'm... I made it. It's the same thing, <laughs> same thing with Butterfly, is. man. Yeah. It's like <laughs> it's the butterfly effect. It's the butterfly is effect. It, yeah. uh, is it the D, you know the DJ that's playing the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Is, is that the person who wrote that song? Uh, who knows? You oh, know, uh, Nikki, that is a beautiful song. Yeah, I do fear that it uh, reflects a little bit poorly on the vocals of the Claverhense. Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful yeah, somber know. piece of music. <laughs> yes, sir. It, it, it's so like you know, uh, wearing a rain jacket and just walking down like a rainy New York street at night is like what yeah. I imagine. But uh, so, you're trying to get a little bit more jazz on the Spotify yeah, track listing playlist. <laughs> scared scared of jazz (laughs) scared because i'm gonna like it and then i'm gonna be a jazz guy and then it's the end for me (laughs) a jazz hole you're gonna be a jazz hole yeah the music fan sense of mortality is like oh when you get into jazz that's when you know that one day they're gonna bury you (laughs) a whole bunch of hawaiian shirts appear in my closet i have to wear a newsboy cap everywhere it's a nightmare man fedoras and newsbook i can't wear <laughs> if you like miles davis uh watch his 60 minutes interview he did in the early 90s it's just like a bunch of insanity <laughs> fingers in his mouth yes. it's at his house in malibu and um you kind of just see miles in his later years and uh he doesn't really talk that much but yeah he's in the middle of the interview he's like putting his fingers in his mouth and just kind of uh, being a weirdo <laughs> uh, i don't know what happened he was famous for like uh he had this like red lamborghini or something uh and he would park it outside this one drug dealer's house and like (laughs) the cops would just like wait for it and be like yeah we know you're the one that (laughs) drives a lamborghini and parks it outside a freaking like like flop house man oh man poor miles tragic end (laughs) but yeah i got a little crazy there at the end but uh yeah, great stuff. Guys, that is uh, Orange County. All right, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We don't know exactly what we're doing next week. I think we're going to do a double header, maybe. Yeah, well, double header. Uh, you have to listen to one episode. Yeah. You have to listen to it. It's four hours. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's going to be Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. <laughs> oh, hey. boy. Don't tease me. <laughs> don't tease me. <laughs> all right. Uh, good pick, Nikki. Well, thanks Great for pick. listening, Great everybody. Pick. And uh, we love you. Hope everyone's staying safe. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.